It's Slice and Dice number 18. I put, ah. I put a little musical twin twinge into the, into the opening now. How old do you need to be to... Well, 18 in some places you can now drink. Um, no, I, I think, I think that's country. a Europe thing. No, Canada used to be 19. I don't mm. know if they still are. What's the big deal in 18 in this country now? Because everyone thinks 18, but 17 is actually where you can go to rated R movies. Right. So what the hell's the big deal about turning 18 now in this country? You can vote. You can buy lottery tickets. Uh, you're, you're technically considered legally as an adult. Right. So you're officially guilty of date rape at 18. Oh, good point. <laughs> good point. So now, now your little indiscretion becomes yes. a legal indiscretion. <laughs> yes. That, now that's weird. <clears throat> if you were... 17 year old dating a 16 year old there's no issue right but if you turn the one person turns 17 the other person turns 18 is this now an illegal arrangement technically yeah I guess it could be statutory rape hmm. that that shows how fucked up our laws are in this country in all actuality and I know there's there's I know the statutory rape isn't as wide thing as it is wide open as a lot of people think it is. Yeah. However, it can and has been used before. If you have that mom and dad of the of the daughter that yeah. flat out don't like the guy, right? Even though he's done nothing wrong, and all of a sudden he's got a rape charge against him, right? Which oh. that's where it's bullshit. Oh, wow. this is not the Judge Judy podcast. So. No, 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 <laughs> and, and this is not our. <laughs> so let's go bang a 12-year-old podcast either. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, Super Bowl week. It is. Excited about that? Excited about the Super Bowl? Ah, I think we got the two best teams in there. <laughs> no doubt. Denver, Seattle. And even as a New England fan, I will completely admit we got the best teams. We got a good matchup. We got, I think, the best defense going against the best offense. And that's kind of what you want to see. Um, you don't. Uh, to me, it's not as exciting when you say, "Well, we have the number one offense from each side." Not if they have no defense. This is going to be an. I, I don't know how to call this game. It's going to be interesting to see how the weather plays into it too. Oh, I hope it does play into it. Except for the fact that the NFL has already has officially announced that they've they've got a deal that can move it as much as like two days in each direction, That's which ridiculous. is bullshit. It is bullshit. With all the money people you spend knew, to go to the Super Bowl, you knew the risk when you when you announced that. The Meadowlands is going to be your arena. right when they when they made their which to me we should have cold weather shitty weather Super Bowls. Why not? But I appreciate and I do get why the NFL wants to avoid it because of the logistics around it. I understand that. Then don't put them in these places. Right. Don't make or your deal with the dome. devil. Then right. this was their way of convincing <laughs> New York to sink. That was at one point something billion dollars into building the new stadium. Oh, we'll give you one Super Bowl. Sure. Or, I, I, I don't know if it was one. Maybe they're going to put them in the Super Bowl loop. If that's the case, in about another 12 years from now, they'll get the next Super Bowl. Right. Regardless, they made the deal with the devil. Now deal with it. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's you, you built your own logistical nightmare. I would love to see a shitty weather game, but I'd also like to see Denver lose, and that goes into the shitty weather game thing. Um, well, see, I'm, <clears throat> I'm not really a, a Denver fan, per se, but <clears throat> I guess... I guess I'd rather Denver won this because I don't like Pete Carroll. Well, I understand. Um, that. I, I would like to see Richard Sherman get sort of uh, uh, schooled a couple mm -hmm. of times just to shut him up. That level of, 
And I know people are getting tired of the word being used, but I'm going to use the thug mentality, which he exhibited, Sure. no matter how they want to spin it. If you want to call it punk mentality, fine. That tends to be the, the white trash version of it. Mm-hmm. It's thug mentality, and I don't like to see it done that way. And I don't care how excited and at the moment you are. Well, you know what? Take it down a little bit. You know, well, and that's true. But you know what? It, to be fair, the only person complaining about this guy is Whitey. No, no really? Because they're stereotyping the guy as just mm-hmm. an uneducated thug, like you said. Now, granted, there's no place for it, and he, say, and he did. And he I did. saw what I saw, <laughs> but. Whitey's the only guy com- complaining here. And, right. and that's a problem in and of itself. And that's a whole other episode of Geraldo. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to another podcast the other day, and they were saying like that they thought the guy was actually refreshing. He says it was a lot more entertaining to watch this guy spouting off at the mouth here than just your typical, like, yeah, well, we played a good game, and the defense and uh, you know really stepped up there at the end and stuff, stating the obvious that we already know. But, agreed... Sherman, there's just no, there's no place for unsportsmanlike antics. Well, like that. and that's that's it for me. Is it? I don't like this unsportsmanlike thing we've gotten to, where every touchdown's followed with a dance, and right. and, and your team's losing seventy three to ten, and you get a sack, and you just act like you've had the biggest play. Right. No, you sucked all the game long, right. which isn't to say Sherman had. And I'll, I, I will always... He's, he's, he's a great guy. Yeah, and I'll always wonder why Kepernick decided that's where he was throwing the ball on that play. Right. You, you've avoided going that way all game long. Why did you think the biggest play of the game is when you want to throw against Sherman? Right. It made no sense. Yeah. And, yeah, regardless, I like this matchup. And it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, like I said too. I, I'm, you know, I respect Peyton. I don't have any issues with Peyton. Ah! I think he's, I think he's, arguably the best quarterback of the last, you know, decade. Yeah. Um, you certainly could throw Brady into that argument, um, but it's it's hard to hard to debate. To me, that. it's apples and oranges. They're two different guys, but both are just fucking awesome. And and as a Pats fan, I get frustrated with the number of Pats fans that like to to trash Peyton. And and I think I get the rivalry, and I get hating to see him win a game because there is the rivalry there. But respecting a guy and wanting them to win are two different things in my mind. And I respect Peyton at the level of, I mean, he's just, as far as I'm concerned, one of the greatest to ever play the game. Absolutely. And you can't take that away from him. He is all that. Yeah. Uh, I I got Denver in this about... 28 to 17. Yeah, I, I do see Denver winning. I more call it a little closer. I think it's going to be closer to like 28, 21, somewhere in that area. Yeah. I don't see a whole lot of field goals. I do have a weird feeling that weather is going to play into this a little bit. Um, I think they'll. I think it's going to be one of those games that Denver is going to come out and score and set the tone for the entire game. I think they're going to score first and never let go. Yeah. So. Yeah, Super Bowl. Yay. Um, we're both Tarantino fans. We are. And we're always excited to hear what, what he's got coming up next. Right. Um, and I was pretty excited when I heard he was going, you know, sticking sort of with that Western genre. And I heard a lot of people complain about that, like, like, oh, great, another Tarantino Western. All right, then clearly you're just a hater of Tarantino. The, the guy... Who does it better? Well, that's just it. <laughs> Who... Who wants him to do something different? 
The, who is if you're either a Tarantino? I get it. You're either a Tarantino fan or you're not. Tarantino is not for everybody. Oh hell no! You know his movies aside, he's a weird dude. Mm-hmm. He is a very who weird thinks dude. a lot of he he is that almost psychotic genius. Yes, and and you you get you have to watch how you take him. You like have to you watch would, how like you, you interview would, him. You'd be afraid of him. <laughs> but I've heard that. If you read his scripts when he's oh. done, because I know he handwrites everything, doesn't mm-hmm, he? Mm-hmm. And I've heard that the this when he completes them, that there's nothing like it. That they're they're perfect. Yeah, he's he's a master craftsman at at dialogue and and narrative. But um, anyway, his new his newest uh, project was to be entitled "The Hateful Eight, mm-hmm. uh, another western uh, spaghetti western. You know, I'm sure. Uh, not true to true to life and all that stuff. You know, what very is Tarantino? Tarantino very Tarantino-esque. Uh, and he released it to... He gave the script to like six people. And somehow, one of those six people managed to filter this through and it, and it leaked. Yeah, isn't there a rumor going around that they made... One of these people showed it to an... The suspicion is that they showed it to their agent. agent yeah. Who then... Leaked it out. Right. But we don't know. I don't even know the names of the people that... No, and I don't want to know at no. this point. Right. All I know is they're dead to Quentin. You know that. Well, but why would you do that to a guy? I, I, if you've been I, given that level of trust... If you're if you're one of Tarantino's confidants, that he, that he trusts you to read over his script and tell you what you think about it, how would you ever leak this script to somebody? I... Uh, to me, this goes beyond words. That there, you you have broken a trust at the level that it, to me it's un, uh, absolutely unimaginable. Right. And there's this concern too. It, it not just in me. I'm not saying I've read or heard anything. What if it's also happens to be one of the actors that Tarantino really respects? Sure. What if? And I'll throw this name out there. And I, again, I'm not saying I've heard anything. But what if it was like a Christoph Waltz? Right. That did this. They're officially dead to Quentin. You will never, ever, ever, ever see them working together. Because Quentin now. That I don't know. It, it, that's that's why it's interesting that these rumors are coming out that it's somebody that leaked it to the agent. You'd think if we know that, then they know a little more than, of what's going and on. And we don't know the context around this whole. No, nope. we don't know that Quentin said, "Hey, don't show this to anybody." We don't. We don't know that that maybe the person that did take it said, "Hey." This is Quentin's next script. Make sure I'm a part of this because mm-hmm. this is awesome. And then the agent got, it, and then the agent's the big douchebag here. I don't know, but I, I just don't understand why anybody in in that business would be so crass as to just just. No, again, it goes beyond words, and unfortunately, as a result, we're missing in in an industry for that time. is so hell bent to demonize the practice of piracy, in a way, this was piracy. Oh, they, in a way, nothing. It was piracy. Dude. I mean, granted, they're not profiting off of it. Doesn't matter. But. They, because now that that thing's hit, I went on a website the other day that had a few pages of it. And I was utterly disgusted, had no desire to read any further. But you know there are people that are hitting it for as a result, sure. and you know there are advertisers profiting because the people are going to that site at an increased rate to see those pages. Yeah. To me, they're, they're pages of a Tarantino script that we may never get to see on the big screen now because of this leak. Right. 
trying to thinking it's a good idea to put it out there to me is absolutely and disgusting. now and now you're going to get a longer time till you do get something right. from Tarantino because he's got to do something completely different now. for from a guy that doesn't do a new movie every two years anyway yeah. because he, he gets them perfect. Right. So now, yeah, we probably added at least another year before the next QT release. Great. Somebody's a douche. Right. Um, so, as as the three of you know, we are massive Oscar fans. Um, and awards season fans. Uh, but the Oscars... Fans of the awards, not necessarily yes. the movie by Sylvester Stallone. Even though I am a huge fan of that movie. That's a great movie. Right. Oscar was a great play. Right. Um, you know, Oscar nom morning is like, Christmas morning for some of us. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. We were pinging back and forth all morning long yes. with the communicator. Um, so the Globes have happened and the Oscars have been, the nominations have happened. Any big surprises? I uh, From which side? From the Globes? From either. Because uh, I say no. There's nothing... Certainly, in my opinion, nothing as egregious as the Ben Affleck snub of Right. It, yeah. There were no snubs as far as I was concerned. The, the names that I... I stop using the term snub, everybody. There's only five. Right. You know what? Use it when it's appropriate. Affleck, ben Affleck was, was appropriate. Snub. They let they, There were certainly some directors that... I mean, certainly some films that were nowhere near at the level of Argo. Right. That got nominated when Argo did. That's a snub. Right. But saying you got snubbed for the best actor nom this year, when you could easily pull seven or eight names out of your ass off the... Just like that. Right. That's not a snub. That's... There's five op, There's five noms. There's only five. There's, yeah. there's a voting process. They went with the five of the most votes. Right. Period. Doesn't mean the other people didn't get votes. I'm sure some of them did. Because sure. now Joaquin Phoenix, not nominated. Right. Tom Hanks, not nominated. Not nominated. Right. And th- they certainly could have been. Um, I think one of the surprises, and not that I've seen the movie, but everything I'd heard going into it was Redford not getting nominated. Surprise, um, not snub. You haven't seen all this. I have not seen I almost watched it last night. It's officially on VOD. I've seen it. Um, I was I was underwhelmed by it, um, and it's not to take anything away from Redford, but he didn't have to talk. That's one thing mm-hmm. <laughs> at all. He didn't have to memorize any lines. He just had to, you know, mill around his uh, his distressed boat and, and grunt and growl and, and stuff a couple of times. It just it, to me it was boring, and that's that was why I didn't watch. I was afraid right. I, I would say, well, you know. I didn't get what I wanted. Um, I, H- I, Hanks was good in Captain Phillips. Yeah, he was good. Um, but I, I don't really feel like the Academy got the, the lack of nomination there wrong. No. I liked him in Captain Phillips. I didn't walk away seeing this is one of the greatest Tom Hanks acting roles ever. Right. All he did was really adopted a, a Boston, well, a New England accent and, and played a part. It didn't and he was good. feel... He, uh, yeah. I will, give him, I will give him credit. I mean, that was a role that... Because we're always critical of Tom Hanks in, in that it's hard to separate the Tom Hankiness right. from Tom Hanks. And I felt like I could I could reconcile the fact that that was Tom Hanks, but I could also... It worked. That role worked for him. It, especially, certainly, 
towards the end of the movie. After. Dude, I, I, I argue that the last ten minutes after they rescue him that's is some of the most brilliant acting out of it, him. That's ever exactly seen. where I was going. Yeah. When he's feeling the emotion of everything that's happened, when he finally lets himself brilliant. And when he's on the boat, I mean we're not giving any spoilers away. This is the true story that everyone's heard. Right. When he's been saved, he's on the naval ship and the the, the naval doctor's checking him out and he's starting to <laughs> lose it. Well he he's start he's starting to realize everything what he through. Right. He was this close to death the entire time, yeah. and he survived on a wing and a prayer, and sometimes his own stupidity. Yeah. There were things that he did that were stupid, and you're watching going, why would you ever do this? Right. However, he was doing what it took to keep himself alive you know that the, uh, the naval doctor was an actual naval doctor? She wasn't an actress. You know, it's funny, because when we were watching the, that movie last night... I looked at my wife and said, I bet a lot of these people are actually military people. Like when they showed the, the, the SEAL team getting ready, I'm looking at it going, these, don't, these are guys are too big for just regular actors. So it makes me think that... Uh, some of them might have been. Some of them might have been, but I think they used... I'm fairly certain like the commanding officers probably were actors, but I'm thinking that there were as many people that were real military people. Yeah, I think a lot of the, um, the speaking parts were probably... Right. Uh, Actors, yep. but a lot of the other bulky. But yes, uh, that that it, <laughs> for the final ten minutes of that movie certainly. But I, I'm mirroring what you say. I didn't really think there were any surprises from what I saw from the noms whatsoever. Um, I think that they got a lot right. Mm. And I, I'm not walking away from this nomination. All these noms angry. I'm fine with the. I, I'm fine with the top nine. Best picture. I've seen them all, and, and I. It's a tough year to actually whittle if you're going to try to whittle it down. Yeah, I mean, I, there, so I, I have movies. nothing to complain. Usually, I have something to complain about out of a best picture noms. Usually, like something like, really, how did this get in there? Yeah. Uh, you know, how did how does extremely loud and incredibly right. close get in there? That kind of thing. Um, but this year, no, I, I think everything. You know, there's cer I certainly have my favorites and, and ones that I that I know have absolutely no shot. But I have no problems with with the list. Uh, you know, we're going to have to to ramp up our anti Meryl Streep uh, campaign again because clearly, because she was in a movie, she's got to be nominated. Um, oddly enough, giving credit where it's due, I don't have an issue with this specific nomination. She is fantastic in August Osage County. Um, but, oh God, I don't want her to win. And I, and I don't think she will. I Admittedly, now this one's a troublesome for me. But I can't really make any statement one way or another because I've never seen August Osage County. But I, I recommend you do. I, and I have every intention of it. Otherwise, I'm not prepared for our podcast and our breakdown of the whole season. However, what I saw from Emma Thompson, though, to me, in Save Mr. Banks is brilliant. So, sure. So you could make an argument there that there was a snub. But I, I can't until I've seen everything. And I, I haven't seen Philomena. Right. And I haven't seen August Osage County. Well, there's two of the noms coming from those two movies right there. So I can't call it a snub. Right. It may, I may see both those movies and go, as much as I fucking despise Meryl well, Streep and hope she catches 
I don't know, walking pneumonia and dies in a gutter somewhere. <laughs> um, the fact of the matter is, I will never say she's not a good actress. I can't disconnect her from being Meryl Streep when she acts at the problem. I don't. Th- I think. I think. You, <coughs> while you, Excuse me. While you probably, as I do, would. Hey, it finally went. Uh, no, it's been gone. Oh. This thing hasn't been connected for the past three times I've been here, dude. Oh, I didn't realize that. that that's funny. Um, so it's a very interesting balance I walk or yes. sit. Um, I think what you'll find about uh, the whole Emma Thompson, uh, Meryl Streep thing is that you'll, you'll certainly think, you, you will say in your head that Emma Thompson deserved that nom over these people. But again, it's not some Affleck level thing. Right. It, it, I wouldn't necessarily call it a snub. I would say in my heart, I'd rather see that. Because sure. um, I'm like you, I don't like how people throw the term snub around. Because snub to me tries to detract from those that were nominated, and that's not necessarily fair. I may not like them, but again, I'm not trying to take away from them. And I, from my, everything I've heard, Judy Dench is incredible in Philomena. She's good. Um, it's a, it's a fun little movie. And Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep. Now, if Meryl Streep wins. I could be a very ugly man because oh, I, I don't want to see that happen. I would be angry with that. Because I know what we're going to get. And honestly, and this isn't trying to leak any. We've already discussed this. After what I saw in Blue Jasmine, if anybody but Kate Blanchett wins that, I just don't understand. Mm-hmm. And which is that I actually love Amy Adams in American Hustle and have no issue with her not. But holy God, Kate Blanchett was next level. Blanchett was very good. And so, it, I, I don't necessarily see Meryl here. It, but I think that's what the issue was when she won for the Queen or whatever it was. or Iron Lady. Iron Lady. Is that that year, she wasn't even close to being a favorite to win. I don't remember who she was going against. But there were one or two people you look at it going, oh, that person could win, that person... And when they named her, it almost felt like a kick in the pills. <laughs> and then when she went up and had the nerve to say, well, many of you don't ever want to see me up here again, you're right. right. You just actually robbed at least one other person of an actor that they, uh, of an Oscar they truly had earned. Right. You're just getting another one to throw on your shit pile. Right. Da, da, da. It's Super Meg, the tech genius to uh, <sighs> Thank grab, you. bring a chair and grab a cupcake. <laughs> Just watch it. That, that red dye. That will, uh, that will stain. Yeah, no, that thing's been like that for the past three times I've been doing <laughs> these. I've just it. luckily haven't had too many beers. Otherwise, I would have been trouble. Right. Thank you, Meg. Hey, Meg, put this up against the wall or out there or something. Thanks. The chair has been replaced. <laughs> yes. My fat ass almost got taken out. Right. You know, I could have just gone and gotten one. I know where they are in there. Well, yeah, I texted her instead. Because ah, we were right. in the middle of a conversation. Good point. Um, anyway, Golden Globes, uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler need to just host everything at this point. Oh, dude, yeah, I love them, and, and, and I'm not the biggest fan of them separately, but together they just have some kind of, yeah, and they work. I, I will say this, though, was it me, or did the Golden Globes not allow them as much time to be them this time? 
I don't, I don't know so much about that. I don't know how much of that was driven by these just long-winded ass, yeah. ridiculous speeches early on. Like, uh, and the fact that half the winners in the first hour had to walk from like across the street to they get to gotta the find a new place to hold that. They gotta be a better venue than the having... whole the whole Jacqueline Bassett thing <laughs> took like fifteen <laughs> minutes itself. First of all, she sits there for like a minute without even getting up. Then we find out that she's at the very back of the place, and she, dude, she was a mess. Yeah. I never need to see her again. And I never need to see Diane Keaton up there talking oh about God. anybody again. And let alone singing. Oh, God. That was, that was just wretched. And she is wretched. You know, I th- at what point, and I respect Woody Allen. Now, he can be a creepazoid and stuff. I, get I respect that. his work. Right. At what point do we stop giving Woody Allen awards because he will not go to an award show? Is that a reason to not give him to him, though? I don't... I don't... Let me... I think you can nominate him for a real award, but honorary awards, what's the point now? Honorary award, if they're not going to be there, is stupid. Yeah. And that's what this was. Was an honorary. Well, is it... What is his... Is that... Is he thumbing his nose at the establishment by not being there to accept Yeah, he's anti-awards shows, period. He just will not go. He's made it clear he will never go to an award show. So then why give him an honorary one? Because who wants to see Diane Keaton show up in her her pantsuit to represent Woody (laughs) Allen again? And tie and and whatever. Um, I mean, yes, which which movie was it she did from? It wasn't Annie Hall. It was Annie Hall. I was coming up with a Hannah. She might have done more than one. Oh, she has. But who wants her to keep doing the Annie Hall look (laughs) 30 years removed? (laughs) Yeah. It's just tired. Yeah. But the thing is, there were train wrecks that were good. I mean, that were bad. Bissett clearly is at the top of that list. But then there were train wrecks that were awesome. Emma Thompson showing up. Three sheets to the wind with her shoes in her hand. glass in one hand. And, and, shoes. and handing her shoes to freaking Kevin Bacon's daughter to, to hold for her. That was funny. Yeah. That's where the Golden Globes are funny because right. they don't take them themselves quite as seriously. Right. So it works. Again, I think they got to work out the issues with the venue. Find some better way. It just seems stupid to have them come down through these middle of these real tight yeah, tables. Climbing over the tables. I mean, they aren't all Roberto Benini here trying to make their way up front. <laughs> you got to be a contortionist. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Get your way to the stage. Nice to see Jennifer Lawrence was able to navigate the staircase. <laughs> and she gave some good photo bombs between that show yeah. and, uh, what was it, the SAGs. Yeah. Great. Well, we're going to do our Oscar podcast uh, in about a month. Yep. It'll be about but, about 11 days before. No, about nine days before. Yeah, we'll do our predictions. We'll do and that. And you'll also, if, if you are into the Oscars and are fairly new to our site, I can we will guarantee that during Oscar season you will get anything you need to know of our opinion on what's going to happen on all the nomination around the nominations, and who the whole who should and who will win. Yeah, we take it very, very, very seriously. Yes. All and we all aside. know that reading my articles will tell you more about who's going to win than yours will, but because I will win this pool, I will win. You you do realize you win the pool when we do it on the obscure short story with a masturbation scene that was recorded in Peking or something. Yeah, you 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 win on those. Hmm. 
overall numbers of who wins the big six were just about on the same level. <clears throat> I don't know. Well, maybe. But you do win the obscure shit. I, I, all of these I look at and say, I never heard of this movie. You somehow name best documentary recorded in a back room in Taiwan. I, I have know. insider information. Evidently. You know all this little insider trading. So, I don't like the opera. I no. can't. Well, I can't really say... I've never been to the opera, but I can I can make an assumption that I don't like the opera because I have no interest in going to watch high pitched fat women sing in Italian. The opera is Broadway without the style, okay. with annoying people in, in this audience and annoying people on stage singing in languages we don't understand. Okay. At least when you go to Broadway, you get Broadway songs. It's a tad bit gay, but it is what it is. Well, maybe. And I'm a fan, but opera, you don't fan. get that. I'm a fan of a, I, a I Broadway it. show. But there's, you go to opera thinking, that's got to be the same thing. Oh, no. No, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> if that's your thing, that's your thing. I, no, right. No, no, no disrespect. But, however, there is something that would get me to go to the opera. Yep. Some woman, whose name I didn't write down, but it doesn't matter. Oh, shoot. She was from the Midwest, if I remember, Indiana or Illinois. Yeah, and are opera singers from the Midwest? I thought opera singers were, like, from Italy. <laughs> well, wait, the, here's... The, chances are, she, if she's from the state, she's probably went to school in one of the big cities. Well, I don't and know then landed, a big name opera singer. No, 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 but then landed in some, like, small city productions. Because right. most, most cities of, like... Half a million to a million to have some kind of opera. Right. True. Right. Portland doesn't qualify. No. We're not a city. But like Indianapolis probably does. Chicago certainly has an opera house. Right. So. Anyway, she uh, she's an opera singer. Uh, she took some time out to uh, have a family, to have, have a child. And I, I, can, I can at least, I can't relate physically, but I can relate to the terminology here. When when the child is, I, I guess not not in trouble, but struggling to extract itself from, from the Plato Fun Factory of Life, <laughs> from the Plato Fun Factory yes. of Life, the doctors or whoever's who's in charge is will do a procedure called an episiostomy, mm -hmm. which basically means uh, making an incision from to, stem to stern, from stem to stern yeah. that will uh, give more room for the child to exit. And they did this to this woman. But they, apparently... They tweaked the taint. Yes. Apparently... Well, yes. Apparently, they allowed Corky from Life Goes On to uh, repair said uh, gash. Um, and they did it incorrectly or it didn't take or something like that. And now the woman can't sing opera without farting. <laughs> I would go to this opera. Well, what's funny is when I was thinking about it, I'm like, how does that? But it hit me. How many people, though? And I, I myself do it all the time. When you sneeze, it comes up both ends. Oh, yeah. That release of pressure yeah. is or like, cough. oh, uh, all or right. cough, yeah. Yeah. And, and when you're hanging with the buddies, it's funny. When you're at work. I would go to that opera. But you know when you're at work and all of a sudden you cough and somebody's in your cubicle yeah. with you that wouldn't find it funny? Like, right. Uh oh! Did they did they hear the fact that this was 
Well, this was a twofer. If they didn't hear it in the middle, they're going to They're still going to know. But to see Madame Butterfly with a little flatulence, a little bilabial. I think, I think Carmen with farting would would actually get me to go. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. In fact, I would want them to incorporate that into part of the show. Yeah. It would you could do like some audience participation oh, piece. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It would be great to hear in Camelot. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, no, this is something that she's all pissed off, and I, I guess well, I get it. Well, yeah. <laughs> but she should be embracing it. You could make money off of this. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, there's the this creepy officer. number of guys out there that seem to like those kind of movies now, too. Farting movies? Farting movies are having this weird rebirth <laughs> or birth or whatever. There will and, always and be the a market. For, there will o- always be a market for toilet humor. Oh hell yeah! And I think this woman would be would be wise to just embrace it. You're right. Have, do you, do you ever think back to some of the toilet humor movies that you saw when you were a kid that people don't even remember happened? I, I remember one that came out, and I don't even think Tony Danza owns up to being in this movie. There was one that came out in the early '80s called The Hollywood Nights. And it was basically one night where he, he, it was kind of like a version of Grease where it's his final night and he's going to be leaving school and he can't be a member of the Hollywood Nights anymore. And basically it's his night and like they'll listen to the radio, Wolfman Jack happened to be the DJ and Mm. Stuart Pankin was in it. Beautiful. But it was nothing but toilet humor. Toilet humor, you're right, it's timeless. We're in a time now where you have to do it a little differently because there are those people that get offended. It's got to be a little more creative. But you still can't go wrong toilet humor because there's always going to be people that laugh at it. Right. Well, sorry about your your farting <laughs> opera, lady, but that's funny. Um, now we'll uh, we'll start out uh, with a little douche of the week here, um, and behold, who our douche of the week is? Somebody new on the charts, Justin Bieber. Yeah, Bieber's picking right up where he left off in 2013, getting himself arrested in Miami for drag racing. Under the influence. Yeah, and then, I don't even know where to start with this. I don't, you know, I don't even want to sit here and make fun of the dude because this is just sad now. Oh, hell yeah, it is. And what's even worse is, did you hear that his father has called out the yeah. police for their handling of it? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Well, I thought, I did some research because I've always wondered, where is this kid's parents? His, his birth parents are separated, but his father is only 38 years old. Mm. So he had the kid when he was 19. This dude hasn't even fucking grown up yet. If you see pictures of him, you can tell where this punk mentality is coming from. Mm -hmm. Because this guy just looks like this... He looks like a freaking bully. It's... The whole Bieber thing has gone way it's off the rails way now. way out of control now. And somebody somehow has got to rein him in. Well, because we're not talking about... Um, you know, a Lohan or an Amanda Bynes, who were really not, were really only, they were only self-destructing, them, they but were self-destructing themselves. putting themselves right. in danger. Bieber's going to hurt somebody else. Bieber was out cruising so hammered and so baked yeah. that there was no mistaking that he was gone. Right. He's blaming the cops for it. He was an out-and-out douchebag yeah. from it. 
Yeah, well, and now people are saying, now his own father is saying, well, it was the cops' fault. How? Well, his father's out there tweeting, it's like, uh, don't believe the lies and stuff. What do you mean? We don't have to believe anything they're saying. Your kid is out there putting it all out there. Right. We can see what he's doing. We don't have to hear anybody else tell us what he's doing. He's an idiot. He's showing us what mm-hmm. he's doing. You, you're, you're, you're clearly a lot of the problem that this kid has. But you look at the, the mug shots, and you can tell that he's just this little self-entitled little bitch. Big time. That I don't care. I'm Justin Bieber. I'll do what I want. Even, he, he isn't going to learn anything from any of this unless right. they actually have the balls to drop the fucking hammer on right. this kid. And that that's the difference is, he, he went to jail, sure. He was in for what, four hours, six hours? Paid his fine and off he goes. He will never see another day in jail as a result of this. Right. And what does he learn? He learns that he has the money to just walk away from it. Sure. And be done. Sure. It, it's... It, it's frustrating because we don't get the we wouldn't get the same treatment, right? And you're watching this kid. At some point, if it goes on this way, he's going to kill somebody, right? And at that point, it's too late. Now they can make some kind of statement and start fixing the problem. Well, they already had a suspended license. That didn't, that didn't no. Um, and and the clubs, the clubs are culpable here. If he was drinking in the club, the club should have its liquor license revoked. Instantly. And I don't care how profitable they are. Don't I don't care what mafioso or what real government person has money invested in it. Right. Doesn't matter. They serve to somebody that everybody knows is underage. Right. Everybody. That's his thing. Yeah. And as soon as that happens, done. But it's another classic tale of the people you're surrounding with yourself don't care about you. They're not your friends. They are there because... You have money. Yeah. That's it. These aren't friends. Little Za is not your homie. Oh, hell no. No. You know what? This is just the MC Hammer thing times ten. MC Hammer went broke because all these people came out of the woodwork to be hangers-on, and he kept helping them and kept helping them. And as a result now, he's got nothing. Right. Absolutely nothing. Um, another one was... Uh, well, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson had the issue... Uh, Eddie Griffin, if you want to go a little more recently, was actually, for a few years, was one of the better-known African-American comics. He's a fucking riot. But he kept helping all his buddies that kept coming out of the woodwork. He doesn't have a pot to piss in anymore. None of these guys put other people at risk. Right. Only themselves. Yeah. Well, maybe Mike Tyson, but... this has just gone way, way too far. And it's another, you know, of course, the believers are out there in force, oh, uh, you know, God. backing him up and, and, and justifying to themselves of, of why this is all lies and stuff. If you're a parent and you are still allowing your kid to worship at the altar of Justin Bieber, I question your right. ability to be a parent. It, it, about the time my kid ever started saying... Well, people just don't understand him. With this kid, I done. Perfectly. Absolutely done. You need to what know do what I the need reality to under- is. What do I need to understand about Justin Bieber at this point? And uh, no hissy fit in the world would stop me from getting my point across right. on exactly how much of a piece of shit this kid is yeah. and how this support you're still giving him is helping nobody. Right. There's never any, any apologies to his fans because he won't admit that he did anything wrong. No. And he doesn't even view his fans as a re- 
as no. needing an apology anyway. Right. No matter what he... He was spitting on him. Yeah. Isn't that enough at some point for people to say, all right, right. this is what he thinks of us. Right. It's, it, yeah, he's a piece of shit. He is a piece Absolute of shit. Absolute piece of shit. Needs to go the fuck away. Can't, can't we do... How old is he now? 19? 19. That would put him at what? The 19... Uh, what? 58th... Um, trimester can't we abort at this point <laughs> I, I don't know next time he's drag racing you feel free to take the paul walker exit oh hell yeah was it too soon no <laughs> no 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 offense to paul walker you showed him the way to go <laughs> <laughs> exactly let's uh let's pause it here and uh we'll come back with some what we watch come on Still think that chick from Little Orphan Annie is hot. <laughs> uh, not let's Annie. Let's go to the <laughs> Not Annie. Um, so we have a couple flicks here. What's that look for? Did you drop oh. some ass? No, I'm trying. What was the? Who who was the the house mom? I'm losing her name. And Annie. Uh, what was her name? They called her Miss Something. Yeah, no, who played her in the movie? Oh, I don't name. remember. I don't it, well, it was not Lucille Ball. Who was the other? Well, Carol Burnett was Miss Hannigan. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, Miss Hannigan, the, the lady who's singing in the song here. No, 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 no. I was uh, I was thinking who's the one they all hated? They, oh, they yeah, were singing was, Hard Knock Life. Yeah, it was Miss Hannigan. That was Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett. Thank you. Um. Anyway, movies. We saw some. Um, we both saw two that are worthy of, of discussion here today. You, uh, you want to just get this out of the way yes. <coughs> for yourself right up? Yes, Go. because I, I just am bursting with, with loathing and hatred for a movie I watched last night. And that is the piece of shit film with De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer called The Family. How was the first day? Uh, it was pretty good. Anything to report? Nothing. How'd you already met the neighbor? The guy on the left, yeah. What'd you talk about? Nothing much. Roses mostly. Try to fit in, will you, Freddie? I'm getting tired of finding you a new place to live every 90 days. Can I rely on you to try? Sure. As long as I can rely on you. You know what's going to happen to you and your family when they find you? Well, you're here to make sure that don't happen, right? I mean, that's your job. Try not to make my job impossible. Now, uh, most people may remember this movie coming out. It lasted about two weeks and then went... Basically about a mafioso family that's been put in witness protection. Uh, moved to Normandy uh, in France for those people who are geographically challenged. Um, and they're under the constant watchful eye of Tommy Lee Jones from the government. They know all the government agents. They've been in this situation for years. And it's basically them being dropped in this new country and trying to make their way through. Was Diana Agron at least hot? Diana Agron was hot. She had a few crushes, threw down the F-bomb a few times. Nice. So if people want to see that, no skin, but there are a few scenes of her bouncing up and down on guys. 
and saying, fuck me, fuck me. If this is what you really? want, it is the best part of the movie. Literally. Because everything else is what you've already seen in a million former mob guy tries to make good comedies where he's a, he goes and he turns on his water in his house and his brown shit. Goes to meet the plumber. The plumber doesn't want to fix it, so he uh, kind of breaks the bust the guy up. And it's this movie you've seen it a billion times in mob comedies. Mm. It's the same jokes. The only difference here is they drop them in France, so you have the whole language barrier thing, which doesn't work because they don't do enough with it. Nothing about this movie is worth spending a dime on. I will go as far as saying this movie. Had I seen it before we did our discussions. Could be worse than After Earth. Ooh. And I flat out mean that with all seriousness. The only thing... Because this is a Luc Besson film, too. We're not talking a nothing director here. It's a piece of shit, though. It, after Earth, at least, I think there were things they tried to do, then they dropped Will Smith's freaking devil spawn, and it destroyed it. <laughs> this movie, I don't know, other than Agron... I'm watching it going, well, Michelle Pfeiffer used to be something. She ain't here. Yeah. De Niro used to be something. He's not here. Literally, this is an hour and 50 minute long film. I didn't chuckle. Not once. There's nothing laughable. There's nothing funny. I prefer my comedies to have some, oh, I don't know, humor. <laughs> At best, 1.5 out of 5. And that only, you get that point five for Agron being hot. Throwing down the F-bomb <laughs> right. and getting getting some sexy time in. Other okay. than that, forget this movie. Don't even red box this piece of shit. I do dig me some aggro, though. And if you want to... I bet if you go to YouTube in a few months, people... Somebody will have pulled all the Agron scenes yeah. off and spliced them. And you can get all that's worth seeing with some better soundtrack in the background. Other than that, don't bother. Beautiful. Uh, I finally caught up with Your Next... The home invasion flick came out. Oh, when did it come out? September, August, September. And it it was unfortunate because since the purge had already come out and yeah. done well, a lot of people said it's the same movie. Well, it's it's a flick. Off. You know, it was kind of cool. Okay, the the sort of the the people in those weird cat masks mm -hmm. and goat masks and stuff. Um, it was it was good. Uh, it wasn't great. I think it got a little overhyped. Um, it was it was a pretty traditional home invasion flick uh, with some uh, some backstabbing. Um, you know, a family who has gathered for their parents. Uh, I want to say it was thirty fifth wedding anniversary. So the whole family comes together. You know, quirky characters. You know, there's there's relationship oh, excuse me issues and stuff. Um, and then it, it twists, and all of a sudden they're all. In danger because somebody is attacking them in the house and shenanigans ensue. Um, there's some there's some pretty cool deaths. Um, you know, this is one of those uh, people trapped in a house and what should you and shouldn't you do and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it, it wasn't bad. If if I had a little trouble with the way it it sort of ended. Um, it's not a route I would have, I would have gone. It was, it was pretty cliched in parts, but it wasn't horrible. Um, if you, if you don't mind a little gore, a little cheesy horror type stuff, um, I, I give it maybe about a three, two and a half to a, a three out of five. Okay. 
Yeah, and as I told you, I tried watching it, found it a little slow, but... You didn't finish it, though. I didn't, and I didn't start it until 11 o'clock at night when we were to watch two movies. So, I can't even say that I gave it a fair chance at that point. I was just freaking wiped. So, I definitely need to revisit that one. Right. You got another one? Yeah. I saw a movie I'd been waiting to see for a long time since I first heard about it. And I still it. want to see this one. And that's Lake Bell's directed... Written Road and directed, yeah. lead acted by uh, Lake Bell uh, in, called In a World. And the truth of the matter is, it probably wouldn't help you anyway, because let's face it, the industry does not crave a female yeah, sound. Yeah, Dad, you may be painfully aware of that my whole but life. not being sexist, like... that's just the truth. Okay. And this whole voice-cracking problem you've grown into isn't doing any favors either. But here's what I'm trying to say, sweetheart, okay? You should stick with the accents. I mean, that's your thing. That's what you're good at. What was that great, that Russian Star Wars thing you used to do as a kid? Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. But, Dad, can we... Can no, no, we, what was it? It was... I, so don't make me do it Come right now. on. Dad, I don't want to do it right now. Please, let me hear it. These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> I just love that. It's so random. And it's an interesting idea, and that's that... She's been raised by a father who does the voiceover work in all the movies. And in a world comes from the old, all the old trailers. In a world where a man meets a woman. And she wants to be the first female because it's not a field that women are really given an open door to. In a world where they fart at the opera. And that, that, now that I'd be in. Yeah. That, that shows how good that catch line is. Yes. And it basically she gets offered the, the voice work for a major up-and-coming young adult series that they made up for this. It's, it's very much a comedy. It has some romantic elements that may or may not a work. A comedy with humor? It is a comedy with humor. Nice. Um, but what really works here is, and this is on the sliding scale, if you're a Lake Bell person, which I am, I, I like Lake Bell a lot, and there's something I, I just really like about her and anything she does, and I can't even put a, fi put a finger on it. Maybe it's because when I've heard her on interviews, when I've listened to her on Corolla, she seems like real person. Yeah. And she, even in this film, makes comments about when you get the girls, they get into the baby talk and stuff about how... That really is annoying. The bimbo voice. Mm -hmm. She makes fun of that. But she seems like somebody, again, that you could just sit and shoot the shit with. I mean, we're talking a girl who was raised around racing. Her father, in real life, owned a few racetracks. So she knows everything about sports cars. And she just is the, a real person. In this, it really, really works. It's not a fantastic film. Mm -hmm. And you can see... The plot coming a mile away. You can see the little wrinkles. However, if you give it a chance, you will certainly not regret seeing it. It's got some really funny moments, some pretty darn well-acted scenes, and there's some great cameos in this movie, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say definitely see it if you're a Lake Bell person. Certainly see it. I'd give it a 3.5 out of 5. Well worth a watch. That's I could so easily revisit it. That's a solid... Uh... A solid B minus. Yes, yeah, it's it's definitely well worth seeing. Cool. Uh, well, the other flick I checked out, I finally caught up with Fruitvale Station. Yeah, I really want to see this. I'm scared. Scared of what? I hear guns outside. You know what, baby? 
Those are firecrackers. You're safe inside with your cousins. What about you, Daddy? Me? Maybe I'm gonna be fine. I'll tell you what, though. When we wake up in the morning, we're gonna play Candyland. And then guess what we're gonna do after that? Go to the park? Better. Toys R Us? Way better than that. Why? I don't know, maybe Chuck E. Cheese? Really? I promise. Daddy's gonna give you a heck of tokens and we're gonna play all the games, okay? And then we're gonna get your favorite pizza. And we're gonna eat it all up. Even mommy's, cause she can't have carbs. You ain't gotta worry about that right now. I love you. I love you too, Daddy. Um, it, it, it is very well done uh, artistically. Michael B. Jordan plays Oscar, uh, Oscar Grant. And it's based off a true story about Oscar Grant who was a, uh, a young black man who was shot and killed by white cops on New Year's Eve uh, at Fruitvale Station, which it escapes me where this is. I think it's San Francisco. Yeah, I yeah, don't I'm, remember. I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive it's San Francisco. Uh, back in 2009. Um, like I said, uh, Michael B. Jordan, who you know from uh, Community um, and... Uh, what was the Josh Trank uh, found footage thing uh, where the kids had powers? Oh, uh, Chronicle? Yeah, Chronicle. Um, and uh, actually, he was in the Mystery Team, too. Yep. <laughs> Which was a funny-ass thing. He, and he's also had a recurring character on show I don't watch, Parks and Rec, which I... Yep. Was it Parks and Rec or Community? Oh, he's in Community. I said Community. Oh, you did say yeah, that. Yeah, he, he's in Community. Um, anyway, he, he's, he's phenomenal in it. Um, I think he was, he, he could have been in the discussion for award worthy uh, performance here, but again, there's a lot of people who could, uh, Octavia Spencer's in this as his mom, not a huge part, but the part she's in certainly, uh, have some of the emotional re resonance and she, her character's relevant to the story. It's basically about how this kid, uh, has a troubled past, spent a little time in jail, mixing with the wrong people and stuff, and how he's sort of trying to distance himself from that stuff, uh, um, you know, lead a better life, trying to trying to make a better life for, for his daughter, uh, the cutest little kid ever in a movie is this kid, um, and, and his fiance. Um, the problem I had with the movie is that it, it's it's almost Titanic in a way that you go into Fruitvale Station waiting to because you know inevitably we're going to get to the meat of this where he's going to get he's going to end up in Fruitvale Station and the shit's going to go down. Mm -hmm. But that's like the last twenty minutes of the flick. All the rest of the flick is them trying to I don't know convince you of how much. This guy is trying to turn his life around and how he interacts with his kid and, and his mom today versus in the past and stuff. Which I think is, is, is essential for what they're trying to do here. But it's, it's very heavy handed because I think in the end it's not really interested in any kind of racial discussion. Which in, in today's America is a slippery slope. Um, Thanks George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin for right. a lot of it, 
But this is this movie has no intentions other than to remind you that Whitey hates the blacks. Um, and, and this is a true story. And, and that's not to take anything away from the fact that this guy deserves some justice... And that there were some some shitty white cops that did this to them. And, and certainly, this is a case that, whether you're white or black, you should be getting around and, and, and supporting this guy and his family. Well, let's be honest. It's an accountability. It shouldn't be a race issue. It should be an accountability issue. Absolutely. Period. Absolutely. And what, what eventually happened, I guess, was that the cop, the cop who did pull the trigger was actually indicted for manslaughter but I don't think he spent more than two years in prison and basically his argument was that he thought he had pulled his taser over his pistol which I think is weak I think is very weak but but the way they showcase these cops now I, I don't know you know this was this is a Hollywood movie and there was some cell phone things that they showed a little bit before and after the flick and stuff like that. I don't know if these cops were as unprofessional and off the off the freaking reservation as much as this film shows you, but it makes no mistake that white cop evil, and they they were just yeah. they were just victims, just essentially telling you they're victims for being for being black. Um, and like I said, that's that's where this is a slippery slope because in this instance. I believe that's probably what happened. It's not. It, it, we'd be foolish to think that that doesn't happen. But this does nothing other than further that mindset of all whitey is evil, right? And all black. It victims. doesn't help the dialogue. It just no, furthers no. the racism. Talk. Exactly, and that's what it did. Now that said, it was a well done movie. Like I said, it, it stretches out a little too long because. The first three quarters of it, all they're trying to do is set him up. You set it up, and all you're sitting there, you're waiting for. You know it's coming. You know it's coming. You know it's coming. Even when they're on the subway that night, and they're each each stop, you can hear the guy calling out the next station. And when he finally says next stop, Fruitvale Station, now you know the shit's going to go down. Like I said, it's like watching Titanic. You got to get through all the love story before the actual boat hits the iceberg, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when when all the shit happens. But it, it was well acted. It was it was very well executed. Um, uh, just a little too heavy handed for me. Not really progressing the actual dialogue that needs to be had here overall. But uh, certainly a good three and a half out of five. All right. Yeah, I definitely want to see that. One. Um, no, I rec- I absolutely recommend seeing it. <clears throat> so we'll pause here again, and we are going to discuss a little bit about uh, the Grammys. Uh, and the state of the music industry, I guess, a little bit in general. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a little bit of fun towards the end of that discussion. Taylor Swift.
win one of these someday, but I never actually thought that would happen. Uh, I sing country music, so thank you so much for giving me a chance to win a VMA award. I... Yo, Taylor, I I'm really happy for you. I'm gonna let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. One of the best videos of all time. So I will say that I am not a fan of the Grammys. Yeah, no. It's to me is like this piece of shit award I, show. Know, I, yeah, I, it could be good. And maybe it's maybe it's more a statement about my opinion of the type of music that is showcased on this. And, and not to say that there aren't Grammy Grammys being awarded to to rock and metal and things that I do like. But the stuff you get on the three-hour show is basically a bunch of shit that I don't care about. Well, and the thing is, though, as a as a '80s metalhead who was all excited, will always remember the the classic when they finally gave a, a medal award mm -hmm. and Metallica's Black Album was there, and it went to freaking uh, Ian. Uh, what's his part? Oh God, uh, who did Aqualung? I'm losing the name of that mm -hmm. that band. That had Ian Anderson or whatever, yeah, the, the flute player. Yeah, I don't remember. And they got Best Metal Album. And from there, it, it literally is an award show that to this day has never really paid attention to hard rock or heavy metal. Right. It, but... Well, and some would argue rap. Right. Because typically there's a band that wins Best Rap Album doesn't isn't necessarily rap. However... I think this year may be the year... Yeah, because, you know, Kanye's Yeezus certainly decides that deserves a kind of love. Um, well, yeah, he's not even on for... Not for, for rap. Well, not for uh, album of the year. I, I, uh, he's on for something, but um, he's not on there for, for album or record of the year. I would contend that more people watch the Grammys not to see who wins the award because that's a piece of shit version of the show, but for the acts that you see on it. Because, like, Pink, I'm, I know I'm not a top 40 music guy, but you will never, ever, ever hear me say anything bad about Pink. Right. She, to me, as far as I'm concerned, is a consummate artist who is one of the most refreshing people in a piece of shit business that is top 40 music. Right. She is fantastic, is talented, doesn't play any games. You know what you're going to get from Pink. Right. And she, when she is on her Grammy act is normally just impossible to beat by anybody. Right. And that's what people watch the Grammys for. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree. I, when I grew up, was growing up, I was more of a fan of the AMAs than I was mm -hmm. the, the, the Grammy. Now, granted, the Grammy is more prestigious. Right. Um, but I, I was a fan. I, I remember watching the year where Lionel Richie hosted it, and then right after they went and did their uh, USA for Africa single and stuff like that. I remember watching that stuff back in the 80s, which I would watch the AMAs religiously and, and enjoy that. Um, but again, that was back when, at least, eh, I was going to say that where the music was good, and that, that's probably unfair, because I think every, music is generational. I'm pretty sure when when we were sitting there in the 80s watching the AMAs with fascination or even the Grammys with fascination, our parents were sitting there going like, 
these damn kids don't know what real music is and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then we sit here today and do the same thing. I think we have more of an argument because at least in our day, musicians were actually playing instruments, right. um, uh, singing the songs because they could sing. There wasn't this auto-tune uh, enhancement. You know, they weren't playing push-button synthesizer-type music as much. Um, where today, it's, you know, you've got acts that, that are getting top 40 play and hitting the charts like Miley Cyrus and, and Bieber and things like that. Where these these kids have no fucking talent. One of the, well, I'm not going to say what our list is for the day, but one of the most fun I ha things I had with this list was looking at some of the acts, outdoor shows, what they mm -hmm. used to look like when you and I were in our high school years, had a look, had mm -hmm. a feel. Even the crowd had a certain look and feel. The number of live songs I went through, all, it was just amazing to be reminded of what some of the talent out there used to be right. and what they used to do. Even right. in top 40, there was an effort made. And you'll, as much as I think Madonna's become a joke now, Madonna in the 80s was legit. Sure. She was all that. And you'll sure. never hear me. I more trash her now because she, to me, is trying too hard to be the 20 something thing right. instead of remembering that she used to set the trend, right. not try to rip it off. Right. And, and that's where she's gone wrong. If you look at Madonna from 30 years ago, 20 years ago, she was a trendsetter. She sure. was amazing and had music that even as a metalhead, you, you wouldn't trash somebody for liking Madonna. Right. You understood it. Right. And you respected it because she was talented. Right. And I think that's what's missing is now all you need to do is sing that music that's stuck in front of you and not have any idea of what goes into making it. Right. And if it doesn't sound good, yeah, we can just fix it. With, Tweak with, it. Yeah, auto-tune or, or, you know. And the concerts now are more about the spectacle mm -hmm. than about the music. Yep. Agreed. And that is that is a huge disconnect. And that's to me, is why the Grammys don't work anymore either, because it is about the spectacle. Right. It, it, you're right. It, it's it's reflective of of this, this era of music. It, if you want to still find... If you still want to go to shows that are about the music... You've got to look at the bands that have been touring for 20-some years, right. and, that's, and that's what it did. Or you can find them. You can go to see, like, a hailstorm. You've got to look at the, the fringe genres, mm -hmm. the genres that aren't getting any play out of those three hours that you see on the TV show, like Hailstorm. And you know. this is where I'll actually give rap credit, because if you go into real rap, not the top 40 hip-hop mm -hmm. stuff, but real rap, they get out there and they do their music. Now, it is auto-tune stuff. That's part of it. But a lot of the auto-tune still comes from the top 40 stuff, not the pure rap. Right. And, and there... Like I'll, give, I'll give credit to Eminem. I think Eminem oh, is no extremely talented. Yep. And you know, if you go to an Eminem show, there may be stuff going on in the background, but you're going to get Eminem. Right. Period. Right. And I, you know the word that comes to mind of where we're at now? Shallow. Ah. That everything is so visual and not right. about the music anymore. It's very base level. It's let's get the big dance acts and let's get the costumes yeah. on and everything else. It's but where did the music go? It's it's garnish. It's the, there's there's a lot of pieces of parsley yep. that are put on the plate to make very average food taste better. Mm -hmm. And that's what you've got today in in the music industry. And and unfortunately, I think that's where the Grammys are wrong to me is because we're awarding that garnish. 
We're saying right. you, you're, you are the best looking piece of parsley on the plate. Exactly. And it, to me, feels like there's something flat out missing. If you want to hear good music today, don't listen to your top 40 no, radio no. stations and don't take what you see on the Grammys as as the best music out there. And it's got to be frustrating to a certain point because every year when the Grammys air, they will roll. And again, this is no disrespect to the pinks of the world that, to me, are still keeping music alive and real. Mm. But they roll out. No, I've never been a fan of bug music, of the Beatles. However, I get their place in history. And when you roll out a band, well, members of the Beatles and shows like this, to a certain extent, they have to look at the people that they're following up and go, really? Yeah. I'm following up Miley fucking Cyrus. Are you kidding me? Oh, great. Wrecking Ball was that brilliant. Come on. Right. Or or Britney Spears or... It's got to be frustrating to these guys to a certain point that the effort that they put in is lost to these people around them and to the audience for the most part. Well, Britney Spears is a good example of, of somebody. It's like, no, no disrespect to Britney Spears. She, no, I, she I can, actually like some of her music. Dance, Britney Spears can't sing. Not at all. Have you ever heard Britney Spears <laughs> sing without the... The enhancement. Oh, it's brutal. She has to lip sync her show in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Is is that is that what you want out of your music? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate um, because I'm, that's just it, because we become this little soundbite society, and everyone goes to YouTube every day to see the new videos. Real music is getting lost in the process because real music doesn't come through in a music video. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I, I took the liberty of of taking like the top three biggest awards that the Grammys are dishing out, and, and who the uh, who the nominees are. Uh, and I never, I never understood the whole record of the year versus album of the year. I don't either. It just seems like they're breaking it down so they can give more people shit. Right. But anyway, your record of the year: "Get Lucky" by Daft Punk. Radioactive by Imagine Dragons, Royals by Lord, uh, Locked Out of Heaven by Bruno Mars, and Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke featuring T.I. and Farrell. Um, okay, I've, I've heard of all these people. Not sure I've heard of any of the I heard of the, any of these songs because I don't listen to those stations. I know Get Lucky only because Hailstorm on their Reanimate Part the Two one album. They did? It's actually a pretty good song, at least the Hailstorm version of it. Right. To watch two dudes in stupid helmets up front doing it, no what's fucking the interest. Point, what's the point of the, the helmet thing? Is it just their shtick? It's supposed I, to be their techno, like there's some computerized thing shtick. See, I, I can't, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a Daft Punk guy. I mean, I, I like, I, I think their music fits well with Tron and stuff like that. Right. The, elect, the electronic stuff, but... I can't really trash the look too much because no. it's no, it's no really, it's nothing really different than what Kiss was doing. In right, the 70s. It, it, they're trying to capture the look of going to your dance clubs with the techno electric music. Sure. I get Daft Punk, I really do. And what little bit I know of Daft Punk, I don't mind them. They're just not. I'm not that into electronica techno. No. It doesn't work for me. No, but apparently this album is up for record of that the, random and right. that, that random access of memories. I think is what it is Random Access yes. Memories is that's a big up album. album of the year, and that, I, it's my understanding if you're into that kind of music, it's really good. Yeah. I just 
it wouldn't be something I'd go on. Fair by. enough. Fair enough. I've heard of Imagine Dragons. I could. They're art, more art house. Lord, no, uh, Bruno Mars. I, you know, I, I, I don't mind Bruno Mars. I think at least from a, from he's kind of got like that old school crooner voice to them. I think the guy's got talent. I think I think he's one of those guys who actually can sing. Yep. Which I respect that. Yeah, but he's he's very top forty ish. Very he, he's very, very love songy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Robin Thicke, who's who's. Uh, he's the dude who was out there in the little costume with Miley during her little wrecking right. ball thing. So, you know, take that for what it's with worth. With the masturbating bears or whatever yeah, they were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, from what I've seen and heard from this guy, I'm not impressed. No. Alan Thicke's son, by the way, Alan mm-hmm. Thicke of Growing Pains, which was a show in the 80s, which is foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a lob. <laughs> yes. Album of the Year, The Blessed Unrest by Sarah Bareilles. Uh, she's actually talented. Unfortunately, yeah. she's one of those that falls in that slamming I've done before that when you hear interviews with her claims that her songs come from her diary and I instantly check out. As yeah. if, you, if, if you give me female crooner who claims that every song she writes is like it's a page out of her diary, I'm well, going to hear menopause, not menopause, hormonal bl- uh, blarings, bl- and I just don't want to hear Well, then it. perhaps she will cancel out the vote of Red by Taylor Swift, who is also mm-hmm. up for Album of the Year. Uh, Random Access Memories by mm-hmm. Daft Punk. Good Kid, Mad City by Kendrick Lamar. And The Heist by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Are they a rap group, Macklemore? I think so. I, yeah, I, yeah they're, I, they're a comedy troupe. <laughs> I don't know. Because it sounds like a country act, if you yeah, think yeah, about yeah. Macklemore. But, um, well, because is there any punctuation in the middle of their name? Because that would instantly name there as rap. Is no. there a doll? Is there a, 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 a scent sign for the C? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um, but those, those are your albums of the year. And this, I guess this is just how out of touch we are from the top 40 stuff. I, no I think it's funny. Someone's listening to us going, why are they discussing Grammys? They don't know anything Yeah, we don't know anything about them. About them. Well, because. <laughs> Those kids these days. Yeah, we're just going to rant on you kids who don't know what good music is. And then Song of the Year, uh, Just Give Me a Reason by Pink. Uh, Locked Out of Heaven, Bruno Mars. Roar by Katy Perry. At least we know these people. Yep. Royals by Lord. I have no idea about that. And then Same Love, again, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Um, I would love, like, for, for all the reasons you said earlier, I'd love to see Pink win. Because yeah, she, she is a consummate professional and she is an artist. I don't know. I don't know what she is. Um, what do you make of Kanye? And I haven't listened to a lot of Kanye. Do, do you have to give credit where credit's due from the perspective of, is he talented? I don't think he is. I don't think he is either. I, I don't. I don't get. I don't get how he can put himself up there. If and you've already pointed out who I think is one of the more talented people in that business that I I've heard, and that's Eminem. And I'm sure somebody out there would want to call it racist that I'm going for the white kid. It's not my intent. It's just that when I hear that type of music, there's something about Eminem's that appeals to me more than than other stuff does. Kanye, I think, spends so much time telling you he's a genius right. that it detracts from genius. Right. You, if you need to sell that you're genius, you're not genius. Right. And that's what doesn't work. I, I don't think people like Kanye anywhere as near as much as Kanye likes Kanye. <laughs> well, and that, that becomes problematic. Right. And what, at what point 
do we continue to feed the beast above the douchiness? Why why are we willing to forgive the fact that this guy is a complete asshole just because we think he's talented? Does he does he deserve our love and admiration for what he does musically and that we overlook because if anybody else we knew were doing that to us or society or stuff like that, we would shun them. I, all I need to say is if you look at the Entertainment Weekly, I think from two issues ago where they break down the Grammys, yeah. one of the people there says that Yeezus was the greatest album of the year. Yeah, there are people, people out that. there that tout Kanye. Yeah. I don't get it. Right. I feel like when I listen to his music, honestly, I think it's horrendous rap music. And this is from somebody that doesn't like rap. Right. I don't even put this on D-rate level rap. I think it rips off everybody else's sound. Right. I don't even think there's something new or unique about his sound. Right. He basically rips people's stuff off left and right. Yeah. I don't. I just flat out don't appreciate Kanye in any way. No. And he's just a complete asshole. Well, and that doesn't help. And maybe that that I need to understand is why I despise him. Is I despise. Him. Right. And I can't get beyond the fact that he's a prick. Right. So why why do people throw their hard-earned money at a guy like this? You can even look at it in the sports world. You can look at a Boston fan was a perfect example of this. Manny Ramirez. A complete shit show. Mm-hmm. A complete douchebag. A steroid user. A guy who thumbs his nose at the traditional the traditions of baseball, ignores the rules. But somehow, because he's putting up 40 home runs a year and 125 RBIs, we overlook all of that stuff yeah. while he's playing for our team. Mm-hmm. Or name your player, whatever, it doesn't matter. Once he finally is not playing for your team, oh, this guy should be banned for life because he's an asshole. It's all very hypocritical sh- bullshit. Yeah. And it's the same thing in music. While we'll sit here and, and publicly condemn Kanye West and have a discussion about how he's the biggest douche in the world or how Justin Bieber should just freaking die in a fiery crash. We'll have that conversation in the car on the ride to the record store to pick up the fucker's record. Right. Where where does that logic come from? It, it, It really... We continue to feed the beasts that we're demonizing. Because Americans like to trash these people that we somehow still respect. I don't get it. It makes no sense. It, we, we, we love to put people up on a pedestal only to kick it down. And unfortunately what we but don't But when get, they're tearing their own pedestal down, that's where I have a, a bigger problem. Yeah, because then we actually will build it up anyway. It may, we, we're our own worst enemies that way. We don't really hold, again, we don't hold people accountable. Right. People just say, oh, it's Kanye being Kanye. And they'll use that as an excuse when they go and buy the album. Instead of saying, no. He's a musical genius. You just don't understand him. Yeah. I understand. I understand him. He's an egotistical prick. Right. I understand perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. I I think the Kanye thing, it's time to remind him that his 15 minutes are up and just... And it, it doesn't help either that he's t- linked in with the uh, the Carduccio. Oh Jesus Christ! No. Which is another that that's just that is a product of today's MTV generation. 
the Kardashians, things like that. Oh, Kim was awesome in that video that he did. Uh, she did for him. The most lifeless dead eyes of anybody ever. Dude, if that was the look she had in the Ray J porno video, I would have been uninterested. We are in, in deep... Not that I've ever seen that video. No. We're in deep, deep trouble in how today, in today's society, MTV is is raising this generation of youth in a lot of instances. But that brings up an interesting point, though, around the popularity of Kanye. Because he's been known for these little outbursts, MTV embraces it. Sure. And as a result, we have a whole bunch of people that embrace it. Right. That aren't looking at how douchey it is. No, MTV thinks it's cool. Therefore, it's cool. Right. Because parents are perfectly happy just sticking their teen kids in front of MTV... And letting MTV show their kids mm. the world. MTV is babysitting kids. And, and that's their vision of how things really are or what they want. You don't have to work hard. You don't need talent to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. You can just get pregnant at 16 years old and get right. your own TV show. And I would contend that if you find a kid who doesn't like MTV... And I'm not saying that means they're a country fan. Well, they like music. There are plenty who don't. But I would argue that chances are that kid probably isn't listening to Kanye. No, I agree. They probably say, no, he sucks. Right. That if you that, that doesn't mean they're not rap fans. It means they're not Kanye fans. Right. That they're looking for new, unique talent, not just the stuff that MTV is forcing down your throat. Right. And that's the difference. I think you, you nailed it. It's MTV. MTV is the big white monster here. MTV, uh, TMZ out yep. there following all these people around and slapping it up on the internet for you. You know, we're, we're, we're more obsessed with uh, we're where this celebrity is hanging out this night than, than actual real issues in the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when, when uh, you know, LeBron James's uh, decision on where he's going to play basketball draws yeah. ten times more viewership than a presidential debate. We got problems. <laughs> yeah, don't don't even get me going on that. But you know, it's the state of what of of our country today, and and I don't see it improving. But the the music industry and MTV is certainly a catalyst for all of this mentality towards towards this reality infatuation we have right i took also the liberty of, of looking 30 years ago <laughs> who won the grammys for best record best album best song and just for the hell of it i threw on best new artist so what do you think was the best record in 1984 not album record if you know how to if you know how to differentiate there uh, um, singles versus the full league. Yeah, but not song because there's also song of the year. Right. That's the distinction that's that the, I don't. That's get. the tricky part here. What what's the difference between all this? I guess record. Uh, I guess in in this in this instance, record could be how you remember the the old two song short disc. Were they forty fives? Yes. Where you had like the, the main song that they're doing, and then you had some shit song on the other side. Yep. So think of that as your your uh, record of the year. What do you think was the record of the year in where a song would be kind of like song from an album, I guess? Which eh, I guess it's it's weird. Nineteen eighty four album of the year should be pretty darn easy. 
I would assume 84 Jump by Van Halen. Incorrect. For album or record? Record. The album was 1984, was the album. Right, well that's not it. Once I say what it is, you'll 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 understand that it's clear what this was. Okay. Thriller. Oh, that was eighty four. Yeah, Thrill- yeah okay. Thriller was was the album of the year, and the song off of Thriller that won Record of the Year was Beat It. Song of the Year actually did not come from Michael Jackson. Care, care to take any guess? And it's not Van Halen either. Mm, was it Survivor? Was not. Uh, it actually was. Uh, it actually came from the Police. Wasn't fucking every breath you take? Every was it? breath you take. I am now punching myself repeatedly in the balls <laughs> for one of the worst songs from the eighties. <laughs> you can song? sing that song without changing your facial expression. Right. Um, well, that was the song of the year in nineteen eighty four. So apparently, the Grammys were fucking up even back then. And just for fun, the best new artist of nineteen eighty four. A band that was uh, definitely decidedly 80s, The Culture Club, was the best new artist in 1984. Karma Chameleon. Karma, 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 Karma Chameleon. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff, interesting stuff. And so, what what is all this that you're saying, all three of you are saying yourselves, but see, why does it matter what the Grammys were doing in the 80s? Because what we're going to do now is have a little fun with the 80s at a time when music was music um, and MTV was music television and the video era launched and and music was just fine. Everything about the 80s was just a fucking blast and you had to have lived through it to appreciate it. And now that we're in, in this era, in this culture, in this society, my appreciation for the 80s grows by the hour. <laughs> so we are going to just pause here real quick and come back with our top 10 most underappreciated songs. So you're not going to find number one hits on this? No, not necessarily. Um, underappreciated hits, or under, see, you made me say hits, underappreciated songs. From the 80s, from bands that had a lot of success right. in the 80s. People will probably know these songs, but you may be surprised to find out they weren't as or, big a hit as or you, you Or you forgot, oh, that's right, that was on that right. album, that was on that track. So let's pause here real quick, and, and we'll come back with that. Seven, six, five, four. We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. Welcome to MTV Music Television, the world's first 24-hour stereo video music channel. Just moments ago, all of the VJs and the crew here at MTV collectively hit our executive producer, Sue Steinberg, over the head with a bottle of champagne, and behold, a new concept is born. The best of TV combined with the best of radio. Now, starting right now, you'll never look at music the same way again. 
start of the Goldbergs and dude I'm I my my infatuation for the That's Goldbergs grows weekly because this this guy is us only talented enough to 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 tell the stories of the 80s in sitcom form today I watched this last week's episode the one you were talking about mm-hmm. where where uh, Murray has the talk dude I thought it was hilarious what I love about the Goldbergs is that not only is it funny, and not only are the '80s references and the visuals and stuff spot on, just spot <laughs> on. You always see in the soundtrack. I wouldn't mind the soundtrack mm-hmm. and the stuff they do, but the last like five minutes of each episode, they bring it back. That in such, there's so much like heart in in what the Goldbergs are actually doing. Yep. When you spend 20 minutes just. Of this family kind of tooling on each other and railing on each other. And then they bring it all back together in a nice 80s tune. And you kind of get like these little teary moments of like how, they, how they're how they still just a family. And they love each other and all that stuff. I think the Goldbergs is just a phenomenal new show. And if you're a fan of the 80s on any level, it's essential viewing. No, it's, no question. It's, it's my favorite sitcom show today and i i would actually <laughs> totally agree with you and for for a guy who flat out turned away from sitcoms after mm. the 80s when i think we lost what being good sitcom was right. this reminds me of the golden age of the sitcom it's right. just a great show the canned humor doesn't feel quite so canned it right. seems like everything's legit right um and which brings us to a little discussion about mtv which finally dropped music from its M. Yeah. Now they're just M. Not only what M is supposed to even mean to them today, but if if all you know is MTV of the last ten years, you don't know a damn thing about MTV. Oh God, the old format where you'd watch at the beginning of the hour, they'd when tell you was, what the second song was going to be. They'd have the sneak peek videos, which I for a month would be the. And I don't understand why the MTV of our generation is still not relevant today. I don't understand why you wouldn't. Want, why people wouldn't want that on TV today. It, that was so well done. It was so much fun. I had that channel on for hours. Sure. sure. Hours. Oh, uh, yeah. You would sit there You would sit there and just watch the videos. But to say, to show the difference, my mom would also have it on. Sure. Because she thought the it format replaced, was so entertaining. It was so... Uh, I, I don't want I'm looking for the word here, but it was so accurate... Um, and apropos that the first song ever on MTV was Video Killed the Radio right. Star. Because in a way it did. Your mom, Like you just said, your mom didn't turn on the radio anymore mm-hmm. to listen to music. She turned on MTV. Yep. Because they were playing the same stuff. The Buggles had a great song that was actually such a great, great look at what was to come. Sure. 
And it did, yeah. In effect, that flat out destroyed radio as we know it. But today you turn on the MTV and you get 16 and pregnant. Yeah. Teen Mom, yep. My Super Sweet 16, yep. Snooky and Wow, or Jersey Shore. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And gone is the music. Every single gone bit of it. Gone is the music. And unfortunately, they've also bled that over to VH1, yeah. which is another Viacom holding, which VH1 <coughs> was the last remnant of hope for MTV. For in the late 90s, early 2000s, you would get music. All the time. Sure. Then they started bringing one or two of their celeb realities, but they were yeah. celeb realities and it was different. You'd get them like two hour blocks. Then all of a sudden that became all they cared. And VH1 oh. was fine, but it was always the bastard stepchild to MTV. Oh, God, yeah. MTV was it. They had the VJs, the yeah. hot VJs and Martha Quinn, Nina Blackwood. Yeah. Um, you know, they had MTV News mm-hmm. that you were looking With forward Kurt, to. Kurt, Kurt Loader. Kurt Loader. Yep. Had that, and then they brought in. They actually brought in a couple of cool shows, like Remote Control, with Colin Quinn there and stuff. That was fun fabulous, stuff. Marisol. Yep, that was fun, fun yep. stuff. Um, and then in in the middle of all that, it was just music videos from right. the people you wanted to hear. You wanted to see the visual medium tie into that, and that was great stuff. Yep. And they're still doing videos. You can still see new videos on YouTube. So it. it it begs me to wonder why there still isn't some level of market for videos on television. I don't know. I think it's all because people can just go on YouTube anytime they want and find that one specific video. I guess. And I think to a certain extent it's killed it. Because I remember we would sit there and, again, they'd do the preview and it was always, they'd tell you what the second song was going to be mm-hmm. and, like, the second to last song before the half hour break. Yeah. Then at the half hour break they come out and do the exact same thing. And you would try to plan around. If those were certain songs you wanted, you'd catch them. And I they were always the, the big releases for MTV. Well, I remember the event that was the Thriller release. Oh, fuck yeah. They, because it was a 15-minute video. Yeah. They said, we, we because of its length, we can only play it X number of times. Yeah. And so they would book it. It was like Friday night at 8 o'clock. They rolled out. And they did like every hour that evening. They rolled out a Thriller video. And they did it throughout the weekend. Then done. Right. And... Hell, even to expand upon that, I remember the deal that the Video Music Awards used to be. The MTV Movie Awards, back when Eddie Murphy would host them. Yeah. It was legit. Now the piece of shit. Yeah. So, yeah. MTV. It's destroyed everything. Your balls. Alright, so. The cool things about uh, MTV, or the 80s, was was the, the bands. And some of these people are still relevant today. Some of them still... Still tour, at least the ones on my list. Um, and some of these, a couple of them are a little obscure, but most of my stuff is going to be very decidedly 80s. It's going to have that 80s, you know, somewhat synthesized sound. It's, it's very like, if you if you didn't even know who it was or what it was, and you started playing the, the track, you would say, wow, that sounds like it's from the 80s. Uh, and I even have a couple on here that are like cheesy 80s. From cheesy 80s bands. But the 80s was all about cheese. So that's why I'm appreciative of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that said. Should we flip a coin to see who goes first here? Or? Don't matter to me. I don't think we're going to have any crossover here. We may have crossover either. of groups. But I don't think we're going to have any crossover of uh, yeah, songs. Because, yeah. I, I don't even know about that. Well my number 10. 
is exactly why I just prefaced this by saying uh, there's there's a lot of cheese. One of the one of the cheesiest groups of the '80s is a group that we hold close to our hearts because we saw them in Vegas in Banana Rama. And Banana Rama, oh, the of the hot chicks. Well, there's only two of the three hot chicks left, but boy, they've held up well into their fifties, mm-hmm. very well. Um, and while most known for Venus and Cruel Summer. Uh, it's the lesser-known track of Robert De Niro's Waiting. this video it is quintessentially 80s cheesy about about these three girls just it, it had that it had that the video like where they just there's nothing creative about it, it just goes from headshot to headshot and then a couple of the, the running montage and things like that things that you saw in the 80s that you could have put together with with a handy cam i think we also saw those when we Watch the Spice World movie, too. Yes. <laughs> because clearly Spice World, in a laughable way, intentionally tried to capture the look sure. of the old 80s videos. Right. Um, but I, I think Robert De Niro's Waiting is, uh, is, is one of the underappreciated Bananarama songs of the 80s. The ones that just don't get quite the play. I don't think you you agree here. No, I, I don't have any issue. I think it's funny that you said the underappreciated Bananarama song. I don't know that many people even appreciate Bananarama. Everybody, I respect if you were them. born in the 80s and you didn't like Cruel Summer. Oh, everybody did. Come on. But, and that's why but I think a lot of it is... around with their big 80s hair yeah. and their overalls. <laughs> even that video is, is horrible. But, but it's 80s. It's the 80s, yeah. so... So my that's my name. Robert De Niro's waiting, and uh, uh, I'm going to try to put Sounders in for all of these, and it, it probably is already played by the time I said that. But we'll try to put a little Sounders, and, and I think a lot of these you're like, oh, I remember that song, or oh, that, that's kind of catchy, or something like that. So, I'll, I'll go. My my number ten is going to be a movie, uh, a movie, a song that a lot of people will definitely remember, and it was not anywhere as near as successful as a lot of people will remember it having been. It's going to be from a band that was right on the fringe of hair band, but never really were considered metal. And that is Autographs Turn Up the Radio.
you want cheesy video, go back and fire up, turn up the radio. So turn up the radio. But this is a song that if you crank it up, I dare you to find people that don't start singing along with it. Sure. Right down to the build-up, because it had the cheesy build-up. And about 20 seconds in, all of a sudden, turn it up. Right? Banner. Turn up the radio was such a quintessential 80s, quote-unquote, hard rock song. It was that metal song, supposedly, that had the crossover to the Billboard charts. Not that high. It only hit around the mid-20s. But everybody knew Turn Up the Radio. And sure. everybody loved Turn Up the Radio. And you know what? Everybody did just that when that song came on. When Turn Up the Radio came on, you did that. You right. cranked it up because it was a great song. Right. And it had that cheesy 80s build-up. You had to love freaking Autographs Turn Up the Radio. And they had all I what two love. hits. I... That and I want to say Sender to Me was the other one. Shocking that the band Autograph would have a song Sender to Me and the whole handwriting something, whatever. Right. right. Turn Up the Radio, my number 10. Right on. My number 9 comes from one of my favorite groups from the 80s. A, a, a group that still tours and that I'm desperate to see again. That I've seen twice live. And it again falls back into that conversation we were having about how how most of the groups from back then were actual musicians who could actually sing. Right. And nobody harmonized better in the 80s than Huey Lewis and the News. And while mostly known for their album Sports, that was a big one, or their previous one entitled Huey Lewis and mm -hmm. the News, it was the one that came out towards the end of the 80s that people will say was kind of like the beginning of the end of Huey Lewis as we knew it. It wasn't as critically acclaimed. And it was uh, from 1988's Small World, Perfect World. remembers it and again it was it was typical cheesy easy Huey Lewis video stuff where they're just where they just pop but it was, it was kind of like the, the backgrounds when you could go to oh they had one at Pleasure Island at Disney but you could go to these places and they'd have a little sound studio set up where you could go in and they'd give you fake instruments and microphones and they would make the you'd perform a song in front of the green screen type mm -hmm. thing and that was, this were the type of things that you saw in a lot of Huey Lewis videos from that time. 
Um, so Perfect World is my number nine. I'm actually going to go away from what you heard on most top 40 stations with this one. And it's a person that most people will remember. And, and he was a former lead singer of a band that I liked, I cared for very little. But we all listened to. I'm going to go with a Roger Waters track from one of his solo albums, and most of us have heard of it, called The Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking. Understated track. It goes on for about six minutes, and it did have some moderate Billboard success. Most people more remember it for the music video and for the album cover, which was basically this blue and reddish background of this horribly drawn road, but a very well proportioned naked blonde female standing back to wearing nothing but a backpack with a thumb out. In fact, it was one of the first albums I ever saw that had a sticker over it so you couldn't see, and all us teenage boys were peeling it up. The pros and cons of Hitchhiking, though, is such a well-written song, a very heartfelt song, basically about somebody whose life is just coming crashing down, so he says, fuck it, and moves on. It was almost an anti-80s kind of track, which is why it's interesting I'm including it here, because it just stands out so much for, again, as a person who never was a big Pink Floyd fan, there's something about this album that really clicked with me, and again, it, it did have some moderate level success, but the amount of emotion that the guy puts into this song, and there will be another song on my listing that's going to be more of an emotional song... You're not going to cry when you bring it up. The second one, I might. <laughs> Roger Waters' Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking, the title track from an album of the same name, well, obviously, title track, was to me just a fantastic song, and if people haven't heard the album, I can't recommend it enough. It's a great storyline album to just kind of zone out to. Right. Um, my number eight, uh, I'm going I'm going to go into the early 80s now. And basically, it's a guy who bled into the 80s. His, he's, his, most of his, a lot of his bigger hits came from the 70s. But he did have some, some hits in the 80s, but mostly early 80s. And it's still a guy that's relevant today, but I, I don't know that he's done anything new in a while or anything relevantly new in a while. But back in the early 80s, I was a big fan of Rod Stewart. Okay. Who'd you think I was going with? Uh, I don't want to bring it up because uh, I have a number one that, that I was afraid you were going to cross over to. Oh, all right. No, no, not that one. Um, and I was, uh, I, I want to say it was from the uh, the Young Turks album that came out in 81, I believe. I wrote that down. Where are you? 
uh, no, Tonight I'm Yours. It came from the album Tonight I'm Yours in 1981. Uh, and the song is uh, called Tora 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 Out with the Boys. <laughs> Song? I do remember that song. Um, and it has this really cool, almost like 50s rock and roll beat. You can almost picture like a bunch of guys in the in their chinos and slicked back hair on the on the strip kind of thing. And it's just got that vibe of it's just a fun song. And it's one of those ones that I really appreciated from Rod Stewart because I was a big fan of uh, of Young Turks. That was mm-hmm. like my favorite Rod Stewart song of, of the time. Um, and then he got into that uh, that other album towards the late '80s, that uh, the one with the shit "Forever Young," which I thought was some of the the beginning of the end for him. But um, but uh, yeah, if you if you haven't heard "Tora Tora Tora" out with the boys, that's a fun song to listen to start to finish. That's my number eight. All right. So my number eight is going to be from a band that a lot of people have heard of. But don't understand how influential they were to the 80s hard rock scene. So I'm it's going not Culture Club. It's not Culture Club. I'm going with a band called Triumph. Yes. And the song Allied Forces. the same name there were three big releases from that album in terms of popularity allied forces was probably the least popular songs then fight the good fight then most people loved magic power 
And I want to say Magic Power topped out number two, number three on the Billboard charts. But Triumph was too Canadian, or was too hard rock from Canada, kind of what Rush was to the Alterna metal movement. It, they, they had almost the same following. They had that, the, 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 the nerds that were turning into heavy metal fans followed Triumph. And Allied Forces, to my knowledge, whenever they played live, that's the song they kicked the, kicked the concerts off to. Most people wouldn't even be able to tell you what the song sounded like anymore. Allied Forces was just a great hard rock song from a great hard rock band that does not get anywhere near the love that they should. I can't recommend enough for people, go find the Allied Forces album. Give it a listen. Triumph were fantastic. Yeah, I love Triumph. Uh, my number seven is from a group that I know you don't have a lot of uh, love. I, I don't think you hate them. I just think you, you're not not a big fan of them. Uh, but it's a group I saw actually live back in the 80s. And talk about musicians. Dude, they had brass. Bands didn't have brass. I know the band you're about to name. Um, uh, yeah, it's Chicago. And off of their, probably one of their biggest albums of the 80s, Chicago 18, uh, that's the one that, like, Along Came a Woman, uh, things like that came off of. Stay the Night on that album? I believe it was. That, I love that track. Um, I, I like Along Comes a Woman. Um, but one of the first songs, if not the first song on the album, that people overlook is called Niagara Falls. <laughs> For me, it's such a classic Chicago tune, sounding tune, and it just sets the stage for what I, in my opinion, is my favorite Chicago album. And this is you know post uh, twenty five or six to four mm-hmm. and things Saturday in the Park, that kind of stuff, which I love out of Chicago. Um, this is a band that really put on just a fantastic show. But again, because they were fucking musicians. Uh, whether you like their sound or not, you can't deny that they could play the hell out of their song. They had their own unique sound. Oh, no question. Um, and and Niagara Falls is one of those overlooked songs from them that people don't don't remember or didn't appreciate back in the time. It didn't didn't really do anything critically, and I, I don't think they ever released it as a single. But it's just it's so perfectly Chicago. And that is my, what, is that my, is that my number six? Yeah, I think it would be number One, two, seven. Three. It's number six. No, you're right, it was number seven. 
Number seven, Niagara Falls by Chicago. Alrighty. So your number seven. My number seven is from somebody that's kind of gone off the deep end a little bit, and I think hey, it continues to perform, continues to put out music, but I I don't put him on the same level now as I did back in the day. That would be Billy Joel. And this is actually the heartfelt song I was talking about. I want to say, was it the, the Velvet Curtain? Was that the name of the album that came out in 83? They had pressure on it. Yeah, uh, maybe. I think it was called Velvet Curtain. It's just the one with the... Uh, Allentown, I think, may yeah, have been on it. Uh, maybe. Well, Allentown was older, but maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I'm certain that uh, Pressure was on this album. Pressure was, I, was a great track. Too much wide range sales on that one. This particular track only hit like number 56 on the Billboard chart. Captain Jack? No. No. Good Night Saigon. Ah. somebody pouring their hearts out into a song find goodnight saigon and again he did release it it just for some reason didn't click and I, i'm not quite certain why and if, if the title isn't obvious as to what it means it was basically about sending these kids off to war and it wasn't any statement about the war itself it was about the brotherhood these kids built through their battles uh, overseas. And I want to say the chorus was literally, and we'll all go down together, kind of. And it, it talks about everything that they're being given to be sent off and just form this bond. And some of the videos that people have built around it will almost bring tears to your eyes about just the photos that people have sent. Billy Joel in his heyday was just an absolute genius. He was my favorite artist. To be no honest. question. Without a doubt. During the 80s, he was my favorite artist because he was a storyteller. And if people, want to find, <laughs> if people want to avoid buying individual albums, do yourself a favor and buy Billy Joel's Greatest Hits Volume 1 and 2 because they came as one set of discs. It was a two. And there is not a throwaway track on that album. It was just fantastic. And Goodnight Saigon sitting right there in the middle of it. And I'm telling you. It's a great song to go back and revisit. Oh, absolutely. Great pick. I saw him live uh, three, two or three times. Yeah, I've never seen him live, and I, that, I'll always wish I had. He just sits there and plays the piano. And just like you're sitting at the bar at a, at a you know, Holiday Inn. Just he's, a consummate he's, artist. He's the piano man. Yep, and that, that was where he, that's what he needs to do. Yeah, absolutely. 
Good call. And, and I did. I don't have any Billy Joel on my thing because maybe because I never underappreciated anything. He did. Well, and the thing <laughs> is, I was shocked because I, I pulled out the album. I'm like, well, good night, side. God, it's such a great song. But that had to have been top ten. When I read that it topped out at number fifty six, are you kidding me? How does this song stop there? Yeah. My number six. Um, now here's one of those ones that is just reeks of the 80s kind of like an italian restaurant reeks of garlic this song this artist reeks of the 80s it sounds 80s it's got an 80s video but it's it's one of those ones where this is one of those crank it up get riled up kind of fun things uh another guy is actually actually this was the first concert i ever went to as a kid uh, it was in 1985. The album was Tao. The artist was Rick Springfield. And the song, Celebrate Youth. play but there were other songs from Tao that got more critical acclaim it, and the more. Tao album is still considered to be pretty much the beginning of the end for Rick Springfield a lot of mine are mm-hmm. uh, on my list are the beginnings of the ends in in critical circles but dude Celebrate Youth was just it it was it was that was the 80s that was the mantra of the 80s Debbie Gibson did it with Electric Youth mm-hmm. and things like that that's what the 80s was about, and I think Rick Springfield captured that in Celebrate Youth, just in the video and the sound, and, and, and he that is that is an 80s anthem if there ever was one. I honestly <laughs> will say, and I know people are going to want to burn me at the stake, Rick Springfield to me is an underappreciated oh, talent, period, from the dude, 80s. Jesse's Girl... It's one of the greatest rock anthems. Oh, no doubt. Four top 40 rock anthems. Sure. Everybody knew it. Everybody sang it. If you look at my iPod now, it's in there. Everybody plays it. It hears it now. And they're like, yeah, Jesse's girl. There's no mistaking that guitar lick. It's just a great all-around song. He has some fantastic stuff. Stuff. Absolutely. Uh, Celebrate Youth. Rick Springfield. Well, I... You you may love the inclusion of this next band because you and I have discussed them at great length before, and it, it's one of those bands again, right on the edge of that. Were they hard rock? Some people say, oh, they're metal. Some people call them hard rock. Some people say they're barely even hard rock. They're just rock. And I'm talking about a band called Night Ranger. Oh, love Night Ranger. Saw them live twice. And again, another band I've never seen. I would recommend if they're are they still touring. I don't know if they are. If they or not. are, we've got to find because, them. Because, was it 
Jack Blay or whatever his name is, left the band and, and helped form Damn Yankees. And um, But the track is Don't Tell Me You Love Me. Awesome. such a great track and it reminds you how cheesy the 80s were there was a guitarist in the band and he's very present and it was the bald guy that's got a hairdo like me who sat off the side jamming on it, uh, either the guitar or that they switched to organ but don't tell you me you love me is still one of those great songs that's got the lick that catches that bump yep boom, 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 i so wanted the guitar in the 80s. <laughs> Night Ranger, for all the way, all the times people want to slam them, you really need to go and appreciate how good some of their Dude, rock stuff was. they gave us Sister Christian, yes, they for did. God's sakes, which is perhaps one of the greatest ballads of all time. They gave us, to me, one of the best titles or best tracks from a uh, soundtrack and that is the secret of our of my success. Oh, yes. They did, and that's a great song. But again, people love to trash Night Ranger. And I'm here to say, I, stop. I, yes, thank you. And if you want a reason why, and Sister Christian isn't enough, then don't tell me you love me. Turn that on and crank it up. It's a great song. I saw Night Ranger. Uh, they were they were opening for Starship. And this is Starship after the album with We Built This City. As far as I'm concerned, Night Ranger would be the better part of that well, concert. Well, that, that's just it. We went in there, and not a lot of people said, hey, maybe somebody had heard of Night Ranger, stuff like that. But again, they were the opening act for Starship. People were so there. this was before the Seven Wishes tour. Because Seven Wishes was the big album Probably. they did that, that blew them up. This was the tour that Starship was on after We Built This City. Yep. Um, <clears throat> which you look back today and like We Built the City was a shitty song but back in the day oh. you loved We Built Everyone, the City Marconi yeah. plays the mama right exactly is that what they say okay. yes it is <laughs> good thanks for thanks I've been trying to I've been trying to figure that out Marconi you know, plays the mamba listen yeah. to the radio don't right. you remember We Built the City on rock and roll right okay <laughs> mamba is not rock and roll just saying right um, and we went to the show to, and everybody's there to see Starship and Night Ranger comes out, and they just blow people oh. out of the freaking arena to the point where, when Starship was up there, and Grace Slick is just a just a she's a train wreck. Tramp is on there, and um, and people were actually like shouting, "Bring back Night Ranger!" because <laughs> they just blew everybody off the stage. They were awesome. Loved Night Ranger, one of my favorite '80s bands for sure. 
I told you, you and I talked about this band at great length, and they, they needed need, to be included. We need to find out if they come if they're coming. Yeah, I, I I haven't heard. I, I'll be curious. We ought to just check we it out. Look at, yeah, we definitely ought to look at that. Uh, so we're down to number five, top five. Um, my top five is probably the closest I'm going to get to a rock band, but definitely, definitely one of those rock bands with a very unique sound. One of those bands you know you're listening to them when you're listening to them in a, in a Pink Floydish kind of way. Um, certainly not a hard rock thing. Just more another group again that sort of bleeds in from the '70s into the '80s. But one of their biggest albums came from in the '80s. Uh, the album was in '83. It was 90125. The band was Yes. The song Leave It. I can feel no sense of measure, no illusions as we take refuge in young man's pleasure, breaking down the dreams we make. Real. Another One Bites the Dust or um, uh, Roundabout was getting all this good play, Leave It was one of those songs that is very much yes. And when I saw them, went to, back in the day, uh, laser light shows at planetariums were a big thing. And we traveled like a good hour and a half away to see these laser light shows, which, which amounted to nothing more than just some... Some out of work college dude who came in and, and made little squiggles on a thing. Oh, fuck yeah! So a whole bunch on, of on stoners have something yes, to do for an a, hour. <laughs> a planetarium uh, uh, ceiling to to music, and I saw the the cars there. I saw yes there. Um, so Surprisingly enough, the planetarium. The last time I went, it was. Pink Floyd, Dark Side yeah, of the Moon. That was, a, that doom, was always doom, a classic. Doom, doom, doom. But of course, this is back in the day when you could actually go see Rocky Horror at the Midnight yeah. Movies every week. It's like, oh, God damn it, I missed the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. But if you, if, you, if you like Yes, listen to 90125 again. It's, it's great stuff. And listen to the track, Leave It. Um, it it's great Yes. A uh, great Yes song. All right. Right on. Have a good time with this, aren't you? Oh, hell yeah. So you and I discussed a song earlier that we even checked to see if there was a video there here. And I've actually dropped that song from my list for another. This will be the last, really, of the hair band-esque songs. And it's somebody who I think really lost their way. Because early on, their stuff was awesome. And that's Bon Jovi. Mm. And I will go to, as far as I'm concerned, his first track he Just ever released. what? Oh, this is prior to Slippery When Wet. This is Bon Jovi, Runaway. Ah.
good rock song, and you'll hear it played still. This song had virtually no success when it was first released. The, 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 the next album, the Fahrenheit album with Only Lonely and, and Silent Night, that was the song that blew him up. But if you go back to his root, to his root, to his roots, and look for Runaway, it is a fantastic track. It has a, a good story to it. It is just an all-around great rock song, and that to me is what Bon Jovi lost somewhere along the way. He became almost this country thing now. He became way too big for his britches. I remember seeing Bon Jovi open for Rat. <laughs> when, and people like, who the hell is this Bon Jovi? All you remember was yeah. his hair. But everyone knew the Runaway track. And it, again, it had no success. Great rock song, though. Sure. People need to go back and check that thing out. Yeah, early Bon Jovi, absolutely. And, and a lot of people don't even realize that Bon Jovi was in the 80s. Oh, hell no. He forever. I wore the fuck out of this Fahrenheit album. Yeah. It's a great album. Again, Only Lonely was such a great track. And uh, sadly, last thing I knew, he still didn't have a Greatest Hits album out. No, if he, he would do something like that that really collected all the old stuff, I'd be down for it. Just to re be reminded of how good he was Prior to the 90s. Right. Well, this next group, I remember having the cassette and having to buy the cassette again because I pretty much destroyed the cassette from overplaying. Anytime I'd get, have to go and mow the lawn, I'd plop my ass down on the rider and just, with my little cassette Walkman and the cheesy little headphones with the ears, plop it in and I would just listen repeatedly to the album Kick in 1987 from In Access. And the song I don't think gets a lot of love there is Mystify. Our veils are misty, streets are blue. Armandlets that chill the land. A soft silken moment. Goes on forever, and we're leaving broken hearts behind. In Excess. They were a great I was band. A, I was a big fan yeah. of In Excess, especially during that time. Um, and Mystify is, to me, is just one of those classic tracks, again, with, with real musicians and singers who could just lay down a track and, and hit every beat with it. it. You know, they really could appreciate the sound that they had. They were another, another one with a unique sound. Didn't sound like anything else you were you're listening to in that era, and Mystify is such an overlooked gem from the Kick album, in my opinion. Um, and they're my number four. That, yeah, they, I, again, I loved In Excess. I, I was struggling trying to slam some of the stuff on this list, and I just couldn't. But they are they're a band that is just totally underappreciated because most people just remember the very top 40 sound and stuff. Yeah. They had they did about any kind of music you can imagine. If you really dig out their albums, mm -hmm. you could you had such a range of sounds on one of their albums. They, they're well worth going back and checking out. Yes. You're number four. My number four. I'm surprised we haven't even crossed over artist. 
Oh, no, and I, we won't hear either. My number four is somebody we all love from the 80s. And it was kind of a late 70s, Michael early J. 80s Fox? creation. A musician we all love. Ah. Billy Squire. Ah. And I will go... Stroke. <laughs> right. I will go with a song that blows me away at uh, how, again, this song didn't have as much success as people remember. And that's the Billy Squire track, Everybody Wants You. had a couple album run where it just seemed like he could do absolutely no wrong. It was so, so rock anthem mask. However, his stuff also seemed, I don't want to say understated, but they weren't exactly the deepest songs. They weren't the heaviest, but God damn, did he put out some great music and everybody wants you is right up there as one of the great Billy Squire tracks. Grab a Billy Squire album, crank it up. There was some great stuff that he put out. Yeah. No, I, I, I didn't listen to a lot. I mean, I remember The Stroke. I remember that album and stuff. I, I've never... My 80s was defined more by the other Billy Idol right. than it was Squire. And, and I think that's... It's a lot of... It's like that whole um, uh, Bruce Springsteen, Rick Springfield argument when people say, Oh, Billy Squire, I loved White Wedding. Now that was Billy Idol. Right. <laughs> It's the same thing. Billy Squire was kind of like that bastard stepchild to Billy Idol. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and people don't remember his yeah, stuff as and, much. And, and Billy Squire, in his day, was a brilliant guitarist. Sure. And he had his own sound. Again, it, it's he had some great, great stuff. It's just almost gone forgotten, except for the stroke. Sure. Well, I know that my number three is going to be the last chance, I think, that we have of potential crossover. Because I do have another band who made a lot of their nut in the 70s. And they were a band. And they were a very popular band. No, you're shaking your head and stuff, so I guess not. But uh, in 1984, they came out with an album called The Works. No. Okay, good. Um, well, I do have another 1984 album on here, though. So, all right. Um, the, 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 the album was called The Works. The band was Queen. And the, the, the song that I was infatuated on that, on that album was Radio Gaga.
I loved Radio Gaga. And Hell you yeah. know what? I, I had listened oh, to some Queen goodness. in the 70s and stuff, but I didn't appreciate Queen until the 80s. And it was actually... Um, actually, did I say earlier, Another One Bites the Dust, when I was talking about Yes? You I did. Mean, yeah, yeah, I meant you, Queen. Right. Um, yeah, but I, I figured you, you meant... That that style of rock uh, that no, yes I, was a part I of. I was I was I was brain farting there. Another one bites the dust. Obviously, is Queen. Um, but while that was getting a lot of the play, owner of a lonely owner that was, was yes yes that's that's, that's that, right. that was that the confused. track. Yeah, I got confused. Um, I do that. But anyway, and see if I was drinking right now, I would have had it. I would have been straight as an arrow with that stuff. But I'm not so. I'm, I'm lost. Beer is my muse. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> um, but Radio Gaga, it, it's another one of those things. And if you see the video, it's just about how it, it's kind of like this this globally international thing of, of the events of the world that is going on right there, and how we get all this information, and how we're so obsessed with the information. And back in the day, radio was our Twitter and, and things like that. And it's just another, while Queen, like I said, a lot, made a lot of their bank and a lot of their success from the 70s, that album um, that they bled into with the 80s and 84 in the works was one of my favorite Queen albums of all time. Radio Gaga. No, Give that, that a listen. That's a great, great track. All right. So my number three... It is a person that is known as much for his solo stuff. Well, I would say way more known for his solo stuff. But he helped build one of the, the more notable 80s bands. And I would argue that his leaving the band is when they went to shit. However, you're, you're thinking on the opposite end of it. Oh. However, his leaving, as far as I'm concerned, that band went shitty when he was no longer the lead singer. That's Peter Gabriel. Ah. When he was the lead singer of Genesis, to me, their stuff was landmark. Phil Collins was a piece of shit. And and you just fucking killed us. Didn't you? I should have been singing opera. You should have. <laughs> and I will go with the Peter Gabriel track. Is this Games the Soul album? The, uh, this may have been from the Soul album. Okay. I, uh, uh, Games Without Frontiers. Oh, I remember that. that until you as soon as you hit play you'll say oh yeah games without frontiers war without the but it was such a great sound that as far as i'm concerned genesis lost when they lost peter gabriel mm. 
Go back and play old solo Peter Gabriel, Shock the Monkey, Mm. Salisbury Hill. Salisbury Hill was such a great track, it would have been included here, except it was done in like 78. Mm. He left Genesis in the mid to late 70s, and certainly, if you listen to Genesis when Gabriel was a singer, it sounds like the 70s version of rock. Right. But he had his own sound, and when he did the solo stuff, Games Without Frontiers is very synthesizer heavy, very keyboard, and his stuff was very minimalistic. You're not expecting any real deep heavy with a whole bunch of layered songs. He was very into just, here's the beat, here's the voice, here's the lyrics. Great stuff, though. Games Without Frontiers. Nice. The top two, and I struggled here to see which one I like better, but... My number two is going to come from another one I want to say was in 1984, 83 or 84, from one of the, again, quintessential 80s albums. If you're a fan of the 80s, you had to have the She's So Unusual album from Cyndi Lauper. Are we crossing over? No, but there was a song on this I wanted to include in my list, and that's the one I said I found out was number three for weeks, so I couldn't include. Really? It. Well, then I don't. I don't know. Maybe it may because I didn't do that level of research here, and I, I don't think so. I don't think this one was number three at, at all. The song I, I'm talking about is "Witness." No. Cindy Lauper, period. In that and album, yes, you're right. It was the must-own f- Absolutely. Album. And if I ever find it, I will buy it again. I, I still have, have it on player. cassette. I have a record player now. So, um, uh, Cindy Lauper was like the first, I don't know, of the quirky females. Uh, you look at some of her videos today, this chick's way out bizarre. And, and she had that very unique, raspy voice but if you really looked past all that and listened to it, Cindy Lauper is extremely talented. Singer. Oh hell yeah! Um, and even though people were playing the shit out of Shebop and Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which are great catchy pop tunes from that '80s, listen to Witness because there's such a cool little like bass track and all yeah. that stuff in this in this song. And it's just another one of those catchy songs that nobody ever listened to. On that, what was the song you were thinking of? Shebop. Really? That I song was, I would have thought that was it, up there. I have no recollection of that thing doing anything on the chart. And it was literally like almost a month. It was number three. Uh, I don't remember this. I, I, I didn't know where it ultimately landed, but that wouldn't have surprised me. Yeah, and, I never and, even gave thought to Shebaba for my list. Oh, you see, I actually like, but again, I don't think that album had a throwaway track. Uh, time After Time, a great, great ballad. Great, great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, any fan of the '80s who didn't who didn't follow Cyndi Lauper and that, then you're not a fan of the '80s. I would agree. So, 
I'm going to hit a band here that is definitely quintessential 80s from the rock scene, even though there's almost been this hatred backlash against them. I don't get it. It's a little-known band called Ario Speedwagon. And they didn't, this song they released, and this song is certainly a creation of the MTV generation that we were a part of. Because they don't even have this song on their Greatest Hits album. It did nothing on the charts, but everyone, when you play the video, if you grew up like we did at the time we did, you'll go, that song! And that's, I don't want to know. <laughs> you love me the video was this one annoying kid just going off the fucking rails and his parents were trying to control him it was such an 80s track and a lot of people would argue this was like the least ario speedwagon song that ario speedwagon did because it was so just clearly a product of the mtv video generation of the 80s still such a fun track and i love me some ario speedwagon i they they to me were a great band i never saw them live always wish i had i never, I never did either and I, mean, I, I wasn't a big follower of them in the 80s i mean no. I, I heard their stuff no they like they you can't tune a you can't uh, what you you can't tune a piano but you can't you can tune a fish kind of yeah. and they was high in fidelity i think yeah. was probably their biggest album um yeah, and, and this one landed right in the middle of the 80s. Again, do yourself a favor, find the video. It's a catchy fucking song. Sure. They don't even really acknowledge it much anymore. Nice. Uh, my number one is, in my opinion, I know we've had discussions in the past about uh, who, and a lot of this is brought on by our love of Hailstorm and Lizzie Hale today. And all due respect to Lizzie Howe. She's she's absolutely the best voice, best female voice in rock and roll today. Um, but you always you always look at who some of the greatest female voices are in rock and roll over time. Uh, and for me, one of the one of the greatest is is still one from the eighties who started out in a band, went solo about halfway through the eighties. And as a member of the band, uh, probably gave us one of the greatest 80s rock anthems in The Warrior by Scandal. The singer, of course, is Patti Smythe, who went solo uh, in the mid-80s. And one of, the, one of the tracks that came off the album uh, Never Enough was a tune called Isn't It Enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, sometimes I like to quit you. Find somebody who don't know me quite as well. Yeah, like a tipsy. 
Now, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but if you go on YouTube and you look at, um, she, she performed the song on Letterman back in 87. And if you ever want to question who one of the greatest voices in female rock was, uh, watch the clip of her doing Isn't It Enough on Letterman and it, it, it blew people out of their freaking minds, this song that she performed on that stage. Um, Patty Smythe is, and I know she still like tours like fairs and small things as scandal, I believe they do. I would, I would, I would knock down doors and kill nuns to be able to see Patty Smythe live. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and the Warrior is for me is just one of my favorite songs from the eighties. Oh Love hell yeah! And she was hot as shit. Yeah, <laughs> I love Patty Smythe. You see, she she's another one that kind of comes from that same different style of music. Yeah. Would be Amy Mann when she did Till Tuesday. Everyone remembered yeah. Voices Carry. Yep. Awesome song. Couldn't include it here because that thing definitely hit number one or sure. at least top five. But Amy Mann still tours and I, I, she kind of goes as a very underappreciated talent. I want to say she was even one of the, the performers on Buffy at one point at whatever their, Maybe. Their, their place they used to go hang out. That bar that couldn't serve alcohol apparently. And oh. I know Amy May, Amy Mann was the there. bronze. That's it. <laughs> I know she, it was a scene where some vampires come in and Amy Mann I think even killed... But yeah, there there are certain voices you go, you listen to, and you go, this is just an amazing talent. Yeah, and they don't get the love now that they should. And yeah, Patty Smythe is certainly on that list. Sure. So you're number one. My number one. So I'm guessing it's not Patty Smythe. You no, know, my number one is male, so it's not Patty okay. Smythe. Peter Smythe. And you've actually already mentioned the performer once. I'm going to bring up Billy Idol. All right. And I'm going to bring up the song, and I told you there were two songs that kind of had the exact same theme. Well, for we've already discussed She-Bop, Dancing With Myself <laughs> by Billy Idol. Nice. It's been in a bunch of movies, and and, and there's going to be a purist saying, well, yeah, but Billy Idol actually did that twice. He did it with Generation X, his band he did before Billy went solo. Right. I'm talking the Billy Idol version. When he honed his own sound, it was around 81 or 82. The song was about masturbation, so it didn't get as much play. We all know the song. But if you look at where it went on the charts, clearly, this one I laughed because I told you there was a song that was... They used to have a chart that was like billboards should be a hit on the charts list. So it was their hundred songs that they feel are climbing but won't make it. This thing hit number two on that chart. So in effect, it was number 102 in this country. Yet we all know Billy Idol's Dancing With Myself. Sure. 
Billy Idol was quintessentially. I may have danced with myself on occasion. Oh, I know I have. (laughs) (laughs) And Dancing with Myself was just a very fun, great song. Mm. The video was a great video. Go back, revisit Billy Idol's Dancing with Myself. Nice. So those are our top, most underappreciated songs from the 80s. This was so much fun. I think we should do a movie version of this. At some I point. think so too. Because um, I because I've already thought of a few just sitting here mm-hmm. of, of those underappreciated things. So down the road we'll we'll find a, a podcast that uh, that fits that. Uh, that right, theme. and when we have no particular theme we're go, going with, we'll find a way to bring that into it. Yep, coming up. Uh, we will have a podcast in a couple of weeks, and we're gonna we're gonna check out, barring any unforeseen things like living in Maine, we're gonna check out the Monuments Men, the new right. Clooney flick that was pushed from the end of last year to the this early part of this year, uh, and we're gonna do a little George Clooney ret- retrospective uh, from a directing and acting standpoint, which will be cool. Yep. Leading up to about a month from now when we do our Oscar podcast, where it'll be all Oscars. Oh hell day. yeah. Which will be a blast. So we got that coming up. So that's it for this week. Uh, We will see you again in a couple of weeks. Late. Late.